Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Um, first thing I want to talk about, I want to revisit something we were talking about earlier earlier today. Danny, I didn't know that when when you uh I knew you shot a mule deer out of a tree with your recurve. Yeah. I didn't know that you weren't in a tree stand. You literally climbed up and shot it off the branch of a tree. <laughs> no, like you're not into the whole safety harness scene and all that. You're just like sitting up in the limb of a tree with a recurve. Yeah. I mean, I, mostly out of necessity, but Dude, it, that's, that's so old school, man. Well, it was a cottonwood, you know, it had these giant horizontal branches and I mean, it felt I had I was kind of surrounded by branches and real tucked in there and it wasn't I didn't I never felt like I was going to fall out of it. So but how'd you like nobody s- ever does. But how- <laughs> 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 yeah, I think it catches people by surprise falling out of trees. <laughs> so <laughs> so how did you like pull back and swing the bow and everything up there? Just standing on a branch. Yeah, standing on a big big I've done a lot of that actually. Uh, that was my MO <laughs> hunting down south for a long time. Uh yeah, I don't know. I just make it work. How can yeah. you keep your balance and and be in full draw, especially with a recurve? But it's like it's it, it's just, it was this cotton with the clump. I mean, I, well, dirt probably knows the tree, but yeah, in the field there. Yeah, where all this mule deer hang out in your dad's place. But um, yeah, it's a big fat cotton when it has like a couple branches that swing out horizontally and then go up, and it's just like this kind of natural tree stand it's so you prob- shimmied up in yeah. there settled I, I, in and I, shot I, a buck with your recurve i screwed in a few steps to get up there you know but yeah shimmied up in there and didn't you tie a little piece of paracord around oh, it? i might have i think i had a string to pull my bow up but you and- weren't up there with one of those nascar harnesses no no, no. five point harness that's all um uh buck bowden can you first off do you mind first off telling about uh, how you how you got the name Buck? Oh yeah, because <laughs> you were born Mike Bowden. 
Yes, I was born Mike Bowden and as a young child. Buck yeah. Bowden of that, Hidden Alaska Outfitters. Yeah, that was my first winter in Nome. Um, at at school there, it was right when locking buck knives had first come, come out. So so there I am, <laughs> the new kid in town in high school, and I'm taking this buck knife that I just just been given. And, and Who I gave was, you the buck knife? Um, I think it was my uncle. You know, the guy I lived with. He was trying to, uh, you know, get me to be. Uh, um, you know, an Alaskan native kind of a thing, you know. So, so, uh, you, first knife you have, uh, first thing, uh, you know, a young boy need, needs a knife. So, oh, so he gets me this locking buck knife and I'm at school and I'm flipping it around and catching it by, by the blade. So, um, I catch it by the blade, but then, uh, so then I slice my thumb open, had to go to the hospital. They had to sew the tendon back, back together. And then there I am at school the next day. With well, hold my, back up because, I I heard the story originally, just because people can't see when you hold up your thumb. Mm-hmm. I heard this story originally because I was watching you working with your chainsaw, and I asked you if you were double jointed because I couldn't figure out why your thumbs were cocked off at such wild angles. Yep, yep. That's hold your it. hand up for a minute. It's so weird. It's so cocked off at a wild angle. I feel like people almost could see it through the right. Like it, it feel was it the, in the air. And and ever, ever since then, so so they, they that, sold that, the tendon. That, yeah, so the, so there I am at school the next day, my thumb all in a bandage. Had, uh, they had just sewn the tendon together, and so me and all of my infinite wisdom, there I am at school the next day doing it with my other hand. Okay, so and the same <laughs> thing happened there. So there I am with with uh, you know still have the scars here to show it, but um, so there I am at school now with both of my thumbs bandaged up and ever since then uh they gave me the name buck and it stuck it was just kind of like the big joke in school and then it just so, followed me on <laughs> even even on my but there's, there's like it, it all, there's so many questions it brings up yeah this, you, so what, what hand did you do it to first uh i think it was my left hand because i'm left-handed so i was catching it with my left hand and the next day you got the bandage on that hand and you're like i'm gonna master that same trick with my other <laughs> right. hand exactly and, and cut it the same way yeah the same yeah yeah trying to catch a blade blade the same way and of course me being left-handed now i'm trying to do it with my right hand i'm not near as coordinated you know with my right hand of course what did the doctor say uh he uh <laughs> he actually said that i had the brains of a cabbage he thought and so i so remember then, that they bandage that hand up, yeah, and, and when it comes out, you wind up with two what look to be double jointed thumbs. Do you have yeah, full range yeah, of motion at, at, at with the them? End, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't bend them forward, but they automatically spring back to the ninety degree <laughs> position. I used, to, uh, I used to work for a, a place called Professional Tree Service. You know, climbing trees and doing arborist work, and he had. Uh, he cut off his middle finger. I, I assumed it was from a chainsaw, but he cut it off on a log splitter. Oh, really? Yeah, but when he was holding the when he's holding his chainsaw, like he's always giving you the middle finger because <laughs> the glove, you know, his leather glove would always be sticking out. Man. Oh, Quick side wow. note: the same guy. He bought a house, and someone told him when he he bought a house, and someone said, "Man, the lady that lived here before you buried a jar full of money." Somewhere in the yard, we don't know where. And when when I would show up to work in the morning, I think I was supposed to be there at seven. I can't remember. He'd always be out digging around in his yard. It was like his <laughs> part of his morning routine would be to go out and dig around looking for this jar of money. 
<laughs> with nine fingers. But, but was, was this a? I mean, was, just a side was this note. an actual fact or is this just lore that someone they were told buried money in true. there? Yeah. yeah, someone told him. Huh. He ran a type of chainsaw called a Sax Dolmar. You know that song? Oh, Sax, absolutely. You rattle yeah. the teeth right out of your head. Yeah. Yeah, they are. they run good, but they'll rattle the teeth out of your skull. Right, I think I think they're still German made, but I, yeah, I haven't heard of uh, Sax Domer for a long time. No, everybody has. Still... Everybody runs Husqvarna's and right. Steels, you Huskies know. and Steels. Yeah. You know. uh, so talk about how you wound up in Nome, and you know, because you were born in uh, the Midwest, right? I was born in the Midwest. I was born in the you know. Um, I was not a model perfect child when I was growing up. You know, it was in the late sixties. And uh, you, you were know, part of the counterculture. It, I was, yeah, yeah. And there was a, you know, there were a lot of, uh, you know, there were the peace marches going on. There were there was racial tension everywhere. You know, what it, town? It, it what town pretty, were you in? Uh, Peoria, Illinois. Okay. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I was a little, little bit bit of a rogue, and I've always been, uh, you know, had to be in the outdoors, and uh, uh, I just uh live live to being outdoors and i was frustrated i guess when i was a kid because i just didn't have you know get get near as much as i wanted to so i ended up your parents weren't into it no nah, they well i mean they, they they knew i always was always wanting to be in the outdoors and and i was always uh you know running away and going living in the woods and they'd have to send somebody to find me and everything else and then at one point i finally uh uh Got to hanging out with uh, with uh, some bad people. We broke into our my grade school, went into the science room, and had our way with it. Had fun with it, and so anyway, got caught doing that. So I was taken before the um, uh, the courts, you know, the uh, the uh, juvenile courts, for and the, for the vandalism, for the vandalism, exactly. And of course, you know, my the my recent history had preceded me about throwing away. So apparently I was a problem child. They had to do something with me. And I'll never forget that uh, um, the judge said, well, we're going to put you in to the gift gift home, which is the boys' home there. And uh, um, so I remember the judge look, looking down at his papers, and my parents said, well, if his godparents live in Nome, Alaska. Can we send them to Nome, Alaska? And the judge looked up, and he looks at me over his glasses. Then he looks over at my parents, looks over his glasses, and says, I don't care where you send him. Just get him out of my town. And so there I am on the way to Nome, Alaska. Yeah. So what, but what did your parents think about that? What was their plan to see you again? Well, they, they just wanted to see me rehabilitated. And I, you know, they, I would just, they thought, if you want to be in the outdoors, here. Right. Well, I, I don't know if they <laughs> Here you go, buddy. <laughs> so much saw that. They just saw that I needed some sort of a change. You know, they needed to get me out of the element that I was in. And actually, you know, to uh, tell you the truth, it, it was the best thing ever happened to me. They put me up in, in an element that, that it was nothing but outdoors. It was hunting, basically living off the land, just doing all this off-the-wall stuff that I would just dreamed or read about, you know. At what age were you when you hit? Hit up and no. Um, I think it was fourteen. Yes. And did you? No, no, no. I was thirteen because I turned. I remember landing in Nome. It was July fourth, and I turned uh, fourteen July twenty fourth. So yeah, I was uh, thirteen when I got there. And were your parents? Did, did, was there was there the plan that you would see your parents still? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that, so they it, it just wasn't a thing you. where, yeah, yeah, where they just uh, wrote wrote me off and said, uh, you know, good good luck. You know, it was just uh, they stayed in touch, and then then I'd, uh, I think, uh, I think it was about a year later, no, a year and a half later, because it was in wintertime, went down and um, you know saw him with the family and and was with the family and and ever since then, you know, we we. We're still real, real close. Our family is, so it wasn't like everybody just, uh, you know, wait bye bye and then forgot. Yeah. So when you were when you were in Nome, you fell in hanging out with the the native kids, the Eskimo kids, right? Yeah. What what what, uh, what like what indigenous group is it in Nome? Uh, it would be the Inupiats. Yeah, yeah, the the Inupiats up there. And, uh, and of course, my, fell, that's who you kind of fell in with. Mm-hmm, yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, my, uh, instantly had, had a native girlfriend my year, my, my first year there and I got to know their family real well and I'd, uh, hang out with them and, and, and it was, it was just, uh, to me, just the neatest thing in the world, being able to go and, and, uh, you know, eat traditional native food and I wasn't afraid, afraid to try it. And I ended, actually ended up loving it, you know, uh, Dried ugruk, which is a uh, you know seal uh, that's soaked in seal oil. I, I love that. Uh, you know, muktuk, uh, ushuk, um, and then so I'd live. Uh, um, you know, I hung around with them quite a bit, and their family they uh, they spoke the native tongue more 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 than they did English. So you know, I got to uh, learn a little bit about the the culture and hang out with them and and it was it was before the uh um you know the uh i could still at that that point hunt seal with them and and walrus and all that so i I was able to go on those kinds of hunts and uh, that was before the um um the act where where, where, the marine protection Protection yeah yeah marine mammal protection act right yeah you could accompany them on hunts oh yeah yeah. How and would I, you guys I, go out I can, hunt? I could actually shoot, shoot seal. How would you guys go hunt walrus? Uh, well, uh, kind of the the uh, um, the really neat thing was was that my uh, my godparents they one worked uh, um, my uh, my godfather worked worked for BLM no not 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 BLM BIA Bureau Bureau of Indian Affairs mm-hmm. and then. Uh, my uh, godmother, she, she worked for a state social services. So they were always having to fly to the real obscure villages like uh, Savunga, Gamble, Diomede. And uh, I was able to go along with them. And at first it was, it was like, oh, man, uh, I don't want to go there. But, but they, would, uh, they wanted me to see all this stuff, which, which now, I mean, it, I have no idea just, just how fortunate I really was. So we'd go to, uh, I remember my first walrus hunt, we went to Savunga and stayed, stayed with some people there. And uh, they asked me if I wanted to go out with them in one of the umiaks, you know, the next day. So I did. Explain what an umiak is. Umiak's a, uh, it's a walrus skin boat. It's a, it's a wood frame boat and they take the uh, uh, walrus skin, they usually split it, you know, put, put it over the, the wood frame, it dries and, and it's just uh, a walrus skin boat. Yeah. So they wanted to take that and take you and go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't a, um, it was just, they invited me to go. So I said, sure, yeah. Uh, so I went, went along and uh, I did that a couple times, once in Savunga, once in Gamble. And then, uh, which uh, that's on St. Lawrence Island. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And how, real quick, how would they hunt the walrus? Uh, with, with with rifles, they'd go. We'd it was uh, you know we'd we'd look for them on the ice flows, and we'd be going you know along, and then we'd uh, you know binoculars, and and we'd see them, and then they'd get as close as they could, and then they'd um, usually take the one of the bigger bulls because they were not only not not after the the, the meat, but uh, tusks were they pretty were important ivory, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you, I, when you I've heard when you hit walruses, you got to be careful because they'll sink, right? Uh I suppose they do, you know. I, yeah, I, I've heard that too. But but uh, the ones they took were always on on the ice flows, and then uh, uh, I remember there was one that that I um, actually did get into the water, and they got up close enough that they were able to tie a a, a buoy to it before it sank. Yeah, yeah. This but guy they was, but they know where where to place the shot. That's what this Chupic guy was telling us. He was me and Yanni spent some time with the Chupic out on. Nunavak, mm-hmm. and they hunt them with a 223, wasn't that right, Yanni? I don't remember the caliber. He was saying like, yeah, like a 22, 250 or 223. It did seem small. And he said you got it, you know, and they placed the bullet just to get them right in the brain pan because they said right. if he goes in the water, you can lo- you can lose the whole raw horse yeah, sink they- down if you can't get over and get at it quick. So he says you got you got a slump. He was saying you got to slump it right up on the ice. From what I would remembering, I think they were they – were, uh, Aiming for the eye socket, they were aiming for the eye. That that was their uh, fav- favorite place to um, shoot them. You know, anywhere else, of course. You know that they have su- such a thick skull that. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, the ones I remember, yeah, that they they, they would get them right in the eye. Did you like eating that uh, walrus? Oh yeah, it's really actually pretty good. Would you yeah. go inland? Would you go inland with them and hunt caribou, or didn't they? Did no, because they, they uh, there were no caribou around there. It, that's a reindeer area, you know the, uh, um, you know like the Seward Peninsula at that that time. That it was mo- mostly all reindeer herds there, um, and noon or uh, uh, Saint Lawrence Island. I don't believe they had any kind of caribou or uh, e- even reindeer there. They, but they'd hunt birds out there, right? Oh yeah, yeah, bird, bird, I'm, and saw some of the most beautiful birdskin parkas they, they they'd wear, and they weren't, uh, you know, they would they would actually wear them because they were functional. You know, they 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 shed water well and and they were warm, but but beautiful at the same time too. I mean, they 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 were actually still in that day in the seventies dressing in uh, in the traditional native wear, you know. So how did it work out that? How did it work out that you be, that you got involved in guiding? Like, what was the first thing that started pulling you out of Nome and bringing you kind of into the, you know, into the big game world? Right. Well, and and, and, and even though you had that like that exposure to subsistence lifestyle, like, what was it that drew you into, you know, being out in the mountains and hunting? moose and sheep and whatnot oh well i tell you what that um it, even when i was a kid still, still in illinois you know the hearing the life of uh, uh big game hunters and and guiding big game hunters it was always just kind of real romantic life for me i always wanted to uh just uh, uh hunt and fish and and uh so so i always had that uh you know that that allure and then when i Actually went to Nome and was able to go out and hunt tarm again and moose and and get get the t- taste of it. I loved it. And when we moved to, so Anch- you guys would hunt moose out of Nome. Oh yeah, uh huh, yeah. 
And so when uh, I got to to Anchorage, we you know at my my butt buddies in school, we'd be going hunting s- snowshoe hare. We'd be going out hunting anything anywhere, you know, moose. And then how'd you wind up down in Anchorage though? Um, well, it just ended up that they they uh, my godparents they they decided they'd had enough of the bush life and they oh, moved to Anchorage. I got so you. so, you so moved I moved with them. And so I, you're a teenager then or whatever. I was, yeah. In fact, uh, it was my junior year in high school and then so then I graduated from high school in, in Anchorage. Did you think did you view going from Nome to Anchorage as like a major setback in your hunting life? Oh, I hated it. I didn't want to go to Anchorage. Skankers, you know? Lost Man, Anchorage. I was having a blast. Yeah. I had I had all these girlfriends. I had hunting. I had everything. <laughs> it was, I mean, life was grand, you know? And, uh, but. And you got sucked into the big city. Yeah, I got sucked into the big city. I did not want to go. It was just, uh, and then, uh, then of course, had to get to Nome and then, or not, uh, Anchorage and had to get adjusted to the, the big city life at that point, a big high school, you know, the, the, we we called it the green box in Nome. You know, the green box. It was, uh, you know, um, it, it was high school. It was it was junior high. It was grade school. Everybody in the same box. You know and this, I mean? they've already started the pipeline at this point. No, they haven't. No. So that was seventy no, eight. What, what? Yeah, yeah. They started the pipeline. I believe seventy five, seventy six. Okay, so you're and, even, and so we're talking. Anchorage wasn't really Anchorage wasn't really here in the way we know it today. No, no. I mean, it it you know the change. Once the pipeline started up, Anchorage just, uh, man, it just boomed. You know, it, it was amazing. I mean, the hunting, I'm joking about Anchorage, because the hunting around Anchorage is still pretty damn good if you're, amb- oh, it is. If you're ambitious. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not like a good place for lazy, it's not a good place for lazy hunters. <laughs> no, it's not, you know, but it, it, it's a, also one, one of these things where we've got hunters that, uh, they get into Anchorage and and they they think man it's going to be a snap because they see moose walking around downtown Anchorage and and even bears in down downtown Anchorage so they're they're thinking wow what's it going to be like when I really get out in the woods if there's this kind of you know animal movement you know wild game movement right in downtown Anchorage you know down in uh, but then what happens and then and then they get out there and they realize that. Yeah, you know, it takes them a while, but they realize, hmm, there isn't a moose behind every tree. There isn't a bear behind every tree. These animals really don't care whether I see them or not. You know, whereas the animals in in anchors are they're used to people, so they're not a threat. Whereas, uh, you know, they get out into the bush, all these animals still have that natural fear, and they're going to, uh, you know, they're they're they're. Ears and nose and eyes are telling them, uh, you know, we don't want anything that they need to do with you weird-looking yeah. animals. Mm-hmm. So what was the kind of hunting you guys were doing at, in high school? Uh, high school, it, uh, it was mostly small game, I guess, you know, uh, off-the-road off system. Uh, moose season would come on, and we'd, we'd go moose hunting in September. But, like, during the winter, uh, ptarmigan, snowshoe hare, uh, spruce hen, any... Anything to get out and just play in the woods, you know. We had, uh, back then, there actually was still a winter season for sheep and goat back in the Chugach, and it hadn't gone to permit area in there yet. So, um, you know, we could go in there and hunt sheep and goat in the winter. I never took took one in the winter, but I'd go with friends, and, and they would, you know, they'd take That's them. pretty tough, huh? Actually, no, it wasn't. You know, you'd go back there with a snow machine and oh, gotcha. wander around and... So, 
you know, and that's that, and rightly so. It, it's a good thing they they closed it, and, and of course now it's all it's all permit in there too. So, so how old were you when you got your first moose? Um, well, it was in we were in Nome, I suppose, at fourteen. Oh, okay, yeah. and how about when you came down here? When I came down here, um, I myself didn't take any moose until I went out to uh, um, went out to where. To, to the river where I started doing all my guiding and, and really got, got into the hardcore bush lifestyle. So it was, uh, and then it would have been uh, that winter, my first winter in there, after all the hunters had left, then it was just me in there. I decided to stay, stay the winter, and I was going to be the, uh, I was going to trap for a living. I didn't want to go back to town. I just wanted to live out there, take home, care. Home and now, because how old are you at this point? At the, oh, okay, uh, my first year out of high school, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be 19 at this point. I guess. So then, at that point, you said I'm going to go off and live in the bush and try to become a guide and trapper. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's when the pipeline first started. When I graduated from high school, uh, I had two choices: I could go up, work on the pipeline, and become filthy rich like everybody thought they would, or I could go out live in the woods, take care of horses, and be a worthless mountain man. Hmm, let me see which way is the scales tilting. And they, they tilted to me going out and being a worthless mountain man. And so I you succeeded. Just found, you just found an outfitter to, to, yeah, to do I, some work. Um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the outfitter that I went out to work for, he was looking for somebody to uh, go out and, and take care of the horses. And, um, you know, I was like, you know, Duh! Who who would what 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 kid wouldn't wouldn't want to go live out in the woods and his main transportation being being horses living off the land and I mean that, Wait, that so whole. this guy was keeping his horses out over the winter yeah we actually took took the horses in. yeah the we were first thoughts were that we were going to be flying you know bringing the horses riding the horses in and out every winter but that trip in with the horses was so miserable that that uh, we decided to winter the horses in there. But now and, this isn't the same trip that you went in to find your lodge for the first time. Oh, no, no. Huh? This is no. different. Okay. Yeah, oh, this, so, is, this is early. This is before I didn't really stake uh, uh, the lodge land until 76. This is after I'd already been established further up valley, about 25 miles up from where the lodge is now. So talk about, so there's an outfitter that wants to get some horses back into the bush, and he wants to use them to hunt sheep and moose with. Yeah. And, but there's no trail. There's no, what's it take to get the horses in there? Like, what kind of journey is that? Oh, man. It's just, for one thing, Alaska, at least, at least South Central Alaska, is really not good horse country. I mean, it's swampy. There's willows. It's just, uh, it's just miserable. You know, I mean, uh, it's not, not like, uh, you know, the, the the west where you've got solid ground, you just know, just go riding off anywhere you want. Right, yeah. yeah. No, and uh, so yeah, the uh, um, we started heading out there. We're 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 you know having this vision of uh, you know the mountain men he- heading off into the into the mountain, and everything's going to be rosy, and and uh, ends up to get getting stuck in the willow patches, getting horses mired down in in uh, uh, the willows. We got to one one creek where we had to uh, we couldn't cross it uh, to Cahillton River, so we had to go clear up to Mount McKinley, cross Cahillton Glacier, come down the other side, and then. Uh, so, how many miles does this trip wind up being with these horses? Uh, 
Isn't it? Well, at, as the crow flies, only about a uh, about a hundred and twenty miles. But as uh, if you follow the path, it ended up probably being two hundred fifty, three hundred. You know, just from all the detours we had to take. And how many horses? Uh, we started out with seven. I get it. That means someone didn't make it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We start started out with seven, and then we 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 had had the the uh, the river destination in mind where we were going to go, and then we. Because you finally, wanted to set up a base camp mm-hmm, to start guiding, yeah, exactly, and uh, um, and of course I, w- I was just the uh, gopher at, the, the, at this point. I was just you know one, um, you know the other uh, two guys I was with. They were the uh, they were the licensed guides. I was the new new kid on the block that was just there to help for for, for the adventure. So they think at first like we'll bring these horses in 130 miles or whatever, and then we'll hunt all fall. And then ride them back to town. Exactly. It, it, it wasn't even close. Those we, horses never came back to town. Oh, no, no, no. And then uh, all the other horses that uh, we took out there, we ended up flying in, you know, to, uh, um, there was a, a mine strip that was quite a way down. So we'd load horses up into a caribou and fly them out and then ride, ride them up valley. What in the hell are you feeding them out there in the wintertime? Oh, in the wintertime. Well, you know, when we'd have um, uh, the beaver come out, they would bring uh, clients and an empty plane would come out to um, pick up clients. We'd we'd uh, fill the plane up with oats and, uh, you know, compressed bales of alfalfa. Um, and then I, re- <laughs> I remember many times having to lay on top of bags of feed in the plane, you know, to get, get somewhere because we had to have, have feed in there. But then we supplemented for the, for the roughage during the winter. Uh, I'd cut birch trees and drink, drag in whole birch trees, and they would they would eat eat the birch limbs, even the whole tree for for their roughage. So fed, fed them once in the morning, uh, once in the evening, um, a scoop of pellets, scoop of oats, and then a leaf leaf of alfalfa. Then when it would get uh, uh, really cold, when we're talking, you know, thirty five, forty degrees below zero. Would supplement their feed with uh, molasses, you know that, that, that we'd mix in with it, and you know, Steve, it was really crazy. These these horse, the first horse that we had, uh, we we bought them. Uh, they they came came from the Yukon, yeah, and we bought them. They they were they they were young. They didn't know what in the world, world to do. But when we went out there, I remember the first uh first year we tried building them a shelter like a, a barn make, makeshift barn to get going and sit in they would not no matter freezing rain freezing cold uh snow they would not go into any kind, kind, kind of shelter they would just come and and stand with their butts up against the door of the cabin there and and uh, uh but but they were they were so tough so rangy you know that they were uh um they were pretty amazing and 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 we we, we actually did try uh, getting some horses from uh, from the lower forty eight. Brought them up, and two of them didn't even last the first winter. You know, candy asses. Absolutely, man. If uh, a guy up here, if he want, want wants a horse for the type operation, what we're going to do? If you can get it from Canada, that's the way to do it. Um. So eventually, it comes up like, well, someone's going to have to stay here with the horses all winter because we can't ride them out. And that becomes your job. That's not my job. It was my wish. I don't so then you're, here you are. Now you're going to spend. You're spending the whole winter out in the bush by yourself. 
Oh, yeah. Man, here's this kid from uh, Illinois all his life. He wanted to be Jeremiah Johnson. You know, he wanted to, he wanted to trap and, and uh, you know, just, just be, be a mountain man. And here's my opportunity. I mean, right down to the horses and sawbucks and having to use the horses to run the trap line. You know, we, uh, there were no snow machines. The only mechanical thing we had out there was a chainsaw that ran about half the time. You know, everything else was, uh, uh, you know, either on old wooden snowshoes running the trap line when it got too deep for the horses or, you know, at the beginning of the season, I'd uh, have have the horses to run and, and go ahead and string the steel. And then I'd um, go, you know, use the horses. I'd, I'd build little lean-tos that, that uh, uh, you know, out of um, spruce trees, you know, I'd, I'd cut a crossbar, put spruce trees on it, and just just basically made made a little cave out of spruce trees. It would snow over the top top of that, and it'd be a shelter. You know, so I'd spend the night out in in, in those, and uh, you know, and because so I I had three I had three lines out. I had my upriver line, my downriver line, and my up mountain line. And the mountain mountain line it was it was only about two miles straight straight up the mountain. That's the one I'd take on the you know what I wanted to break and then the other ones were they were like five miles long so 10 10 miles round trip which which when you have an established trail snowshoe trail i mean you can scoop right right along but when you have a fresh snow of course you have having to break break trail so it can kind of kind of wear wear you out a little bit so you trap at pine martin lynx wolverine uh yeah my big money makers were um um uh, Martin number one, Wolverine number two, uh, Beaver. The 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 price on Beaver were high then, and uh, first, first I tried trapping Beaver through through the ice. You know all the all the romantic things you see in the books about cutting the hole and making your pole and, and wiring. You know, forget that. I just started trapping the bank beavers. You know, and when it was cold, you wouldn't see them, but as soon as you get a warm snap, the beaver would be out like. You know, they'd be coming out, you know, smelling the fresh air, and, and, and they, they'd be everywhere, and they they were a lot easier to take then. You'd focus and, on them in the spring. I'm sorry? You'd focus on them in the spring? No, in, in, in the fall, uh, you know, er, oh, see, early yeah. on. And then, and then even— got all froze up. And, right, yeah. exactly, yeah. And then, and then even, like, like, like I say, when there'd be a warm spell come up, you know, you'll have, have your Chinooks come in in January, you know, uh, late December, January, February, and a uh, bee, beaver will come out then, and, and then they'll go back in once that warm warm spell's over. But it was more uh, I caught more in, in the fall because usually I'd try and get out there, um, you know, the end of February and try to hit the fur rendezvous and uh, hit the fur auctions and sell my furs. You know. So were you making more money trapping or more money taking care of these horses? Well, I wasn't getting paid to take care of the horses. I, I had to. I was just out there, you know, voluntarily. I wanted to be there, so I wasn't getting paid to take take care of the horses. Um, it was um, if I wanted to make any money, I had to trap. But I, but I had had no, had no expenses. You know, they uh, they paid for my food. You know what <laughs> what food they would give me. Of course, the you know all the prime stuff like. Uh, uh, butter and potatoes and everything it was always gone within the first month and then usually ended up uh the last couple months that i would be in there they had nothing but a strict meat diet you know i'd have to shoot a moose and and then i'd live live on the moose it was 
I had a grinder out there, so it'd be like, you know, I'd grind up some moose burger, have moose burger in the morning, then then moose steak for lunch, moose burger in the evening, then moose steak for breakfast. The next day. <laughs> so it kind of altered. <laughs> I'd always have, have some some kind of a moose concoction, you know. And you're uh, eating beaver meat. Uh, oh, man, beaver's really actually pretty good. It is, yeah. Um, and then I remember one time caught a lynx, and uh, I tried eating the lynx, and the lynx was, it, I was amazed. The lynx, lynx is really good, you know. Um, and I've tried a few other things. I remember... Uh, <laughs> One time, well, I'm going to try some Wolverine. I'd take the skulls, of, like like off the Wolverine, and I'd boil them down, you know, to keep 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 the skulls to clean. So I, I thought, hmm, this thing's been boiling for a while, so that meat's got to be pretty tender. So I pull the skull out, and uh, I just kind of take it, look at it. Hmm, looks pretty tender. So I kind of bit into it like like an apple. <laughs> Bad idea. It's it's. <laughs> Like the muscle it's on that head. It's not very good. Yeah, the muscle on that head's not very exactly. good. No, it's not. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Now, would you eat pine squirrel, porcupine, uh, porcupine camp robbers during the summer for uh, for me? Usually, what I do in the spring, I would shoot a black bear, and then I had a make- makeshift smoker that uh, that I'd uh, uh, smoke up the black bear meat, and then for fre- fresh meat, it would have to be. Uh, I ate a lot of grayling and rain, rainbow out of the river, but uh, but I'd also um, eat a lot of porcupine, um, you know, um, snow snowshoe hare, um, grouse, anything. You know, of course we wouldn't take take any moose or anything because it just wouldn't keep. There any way way to preserve that? But a lot of a lot of small game. And then eventually, fall comes, and it's time to guide. Right, yeah, and that became kind of your, you kind of oh yeah, your I passion, mean, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, not not only the passion, but uh, uh, you know, at some point, too, a guy said, well, you know, I need I need to make make some money, so uh, yeah, my first uh, first first year your guide, I was um, really scared, and nervous, but but uh, once the the guy guy got out there. Um, he was from Hungary. Did, didn't um, speak any English. Your first client was from Hungary. He was, yeah, yeah. He didn't speak speak any, any English, and and so um, he pretty much depended on me. And and it was kind of like, uh, you know, wow, there's somebody out there that depends on me. I have kind of have his life in my hand. I felt powerful because I I was really secure and I can take this guy out and take take care of him. He sure couldn't take care of himself and. Uh, were you, were you calling moose then? Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and and I learned from uh, the guys I first started with, with out there. I'd listen to them, and the first time I saw it happen, I was like, "Wow, this really works!" And then a lot of it came rip, to rip, rip a cow call for us real quick. Oh, it gives me a little chub. Now do the um, do the do a bull call. And 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 you'd have to try and project. Everybody wants to go out there with the birch bark cones and everything else, but to me that's just just ridiculous. That's you know, theatrics. Sure. Yeah, and then and then there's uh, other system. You know, people have these um, make make a hole in the bottom. Of Coffee can pull a rope through it, and none of it, it ever ever sounded real to me. And a lot of the, 
what I would do, I would actually be out there and actually hear the cows or hear the bulls and then and then just try and mimic that. You know, I've yet to hear I've yet to hear a cow do a really? cow call. Never heard a cow do a cow call. Oh man, no. I, I hear bulls. Every every yeah, yeah, bulls, but every year it, pretty common. Uh, I mean with me, I mean but you know, Dan, you heard? Right there. Yeah, I remember I've I've been laying in, in the sleeping bag at night in Moose Camp hearing cows calling. It's pretty oh, cool. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the middle of the night even. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what? I say that man, but I gotta check up my older brother my other not Danny here, but my other older brother. Because maybe the more I think about it, I think that I gotta talk to him about it. I think years ago we did elk hunting. Yeah. I got I gotta ask him about that because I have like the vaguest recollection of it. But uh back to this chat from Hungry. This is your first guiding experience. It is my my, my very first. Does the, guy, hunter. does the guy get a moose? Yes, he did. Yeah, and and it was a, it, it was so so funny when I, uh, you know, he was scared to death of horses, and of course, all of the horses had different per- personalities, you know, and and so I tried putting him on the uh, uh, most docile horse we had, but but still at the same token, you know, that a horse a horse can really sense an inexperienced rider. You know, he'd, an old punky, she'd kind of look back at it with her eyes and she said, yeah, I got this guy's ticket. I know what I can get get away with. And we, we, we'd go off, off up the, the the trail and punky would take him underneath branches, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> he'd be trying to knock him off. Yeah, and, and, and of course, you know, he's uh, uh, like like with the rain. You, you're trying teach him well the the horses are neck, neck rain but of course you know he's he's got the reins and he's trying to trying to pull them like uh you know pull a head one way or the next and she didn't like that and it, it was like you know finally i've had enough you know the is what, what 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 she's thinking and he just he just couldn't get it guy great guy it, it was it was fun it was a fun experience and being able to just have somebody else's you know life in my own hands and, and being able to to take them whatever it was they were looking for was fun. Did you did you like being responsible for someone because you'd always perceived yourself as a troublemaker and a derelict and here was sort of a way that to, of proving that that wasn't true? Like what do you mean that you liked having that? No, nah, that's a that's a little deep. I never really thought about that. Yeah, but I mean it might be a little deep, <laughs> but I mean there's gotta be something going on. Why did you like having Well, I I never really tried to analyze it, but uh to me it, it was just uh um you know I didn't see see it, you know from my from my faults as a as a kid, I, I just saw it just enjoying taking this guy out because uh uh, because I'm really good at what I'm, what I'm doing, and and uh, something I've always wanted to do. Did you like that, uh, like the teacher role? Uh, to sh- like, did yeah, you show yeah, someone I, I, something I, you liked? To, you'd show someone yes. something you loved, kind of. Yeah, I, I guess I really enjoyed the, uh, you know, especially be, being at, at that that age. Somebody looking up to me, you know, somebody yeah. that's older me, older than me, a, a, a senior looking up to me and. And asking me these questions, well, how do we do this? How do we do that? Or uh, just seeing me as, uh, um, you know, the expert in what I'm doing, and that that uh, that that felt good. From from the client's perspective, it was probably really cool to be w- hanging with someone that was that connected to the landscape. 
Oh, yeah. Because I, I think, it, at least in this day and age, and maybe then too, so many of these guys roll in just for yeah. a few weeks during hunting season from somewhere in the lower 48. And Yeah. And plus, I, I, I suppose I probably probably looked the part too you know here's this here's this guy with the longer hair and the clothes clothes i wore not that i was trying to address the part it's just that you naturally fall into the into the look and the mystique you know the movement you do of, of just somebody that's lived in the bush and you know you get these people from that come in that are uh pretty much city born and uh you know dwell in the city and they they can they can see that that you've been out in the bush and you're comfortable out there and, and you're deal. confident and yeah and that they they don't have any problem in putting their life in your hand. Yeah. How long did you guide for that outfit before going off and trying to start your own outfitting oh, business? Oh, I was with him until uh, clear through the uh, clear through the eighties, and then I got my master guide license, or and then I went into business. From I think my first hunters were uh, like nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one, somewhere right. That's right when you first there. started going off by yourself. And, and right. at that point, were you already you were already had experience guiding the things like the main things you like to focus on now are doll sheep, moose, and brown bears, right? Oh, right, doll sheep, moose, brown bear, grizzly. They're they're what we're most noted for in that order. Yeah, and that's your order again. Uh, sheep, moose, brown bear, grizzly, you know, and that, uh, that's basically more what, um, you know, what we had out there, but what I cut my teeth on and, and, uh, and, and our area, you know, just has, has a, uh, good, good population of all those. So when you went into business by yourself, that's what you focused on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We advertised more for, uh, you know, um, and if you want to take caribou, black bear, they're out there, and uh, you know you can go ahead and and uh, take them at no, no no extra charge out there. Because I've I've always been a firm believer if you book a ten, ten, ten day hunt, you ought to be able to stay out there and hunt hunt for ten ten days. You know. But those times are changing now. Oh boy, big time! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. 
Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized I didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Yeah. No one wants to hunt hard anymore. No, they, yeah, and and that, that that's it. You just can't convince a lot of these people that very rarely do these animals come in and surrender. I mean, you've actually got to go out there and work for them. You have to get wet. You have to get dirty. You have to, uh, yeah, you've got to be uncomfortable some sometimes, and you have have to work work hard at it. And uh, you know, you have have to be able to accept disappointment sometimes. You know that animals aren't always going to move the way you want, and a guide can be out there and he can have all the experience and the uh, expertise in the world. But sometimes, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, that's not enough. These animals don't care whether you see them or not. They're going to do their very best to avoid you. And you were, Uh, but you were involved in Alaska hunting at a time when there was still a bit of like exploration going on, right? I mean, not like big, like map making, but I mean that you could pioneer new hunting spots back then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was part of the, uh, part of the fun I had when I went out, out there, there, there too. And my, uh, to me, part of my job or my, my obligations too were to take the horses and just head that way, see what's over there, you know? And there were, there were still areas that are, um, you know, wild where nobody was hunting in, nobody had really uh, been in there and tried it out. And I'd take the horses and I'd head up in, into the mountains for days, you know, uh, exploring new places. So did you find like a lot of little sheep spots and stuff that people just hadn't hunted sheep? Yeah, well, uh, the area where we hunted, it, it was before the uh, Denali National Park and Preserve was uh, um, uh, implemented. 
So we'd go up the head, head of the valley, and, and we'd always heard there were sheep up there. And and so uh, we took the horses up there. It took, uh, you know, about three days, went up there just to check it out and uh, saw that there was sheep up there. So we went ahead and booked a couple hunters and took them up there. Before that, it was just, you know, I, I guess people would fly up there, but we we didn't really have access to airplanes or anything th- thing like, like that. So it was just all everything we did, exploring we did, were off horseback. And what would be a long hunt for you guys back then? Uh, ten days. Yeah, everything is usually based on ten days. But what about when you're just out messing around by yourselves? Uh, um, you mean as far as my hunting goes? Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty much just hunting every day. I mean, if there's a time where, like during trapping season or whatever, and I needed moose, I'd just go out there and I wouldn't get hardcore. Like with, with the clients, you know, you're obligated to, to hit it hard all day, every every day. And I just, uh, uh, when I was out there by myself hunting on my own, I'd just do it at my own convenience, you know, yeah. if I wanted to or needed it or if I got hungry. Yeah. What's a master guide license? Um, well, it, it basically just the, uh, uh, it holds the same weight as a registered guide license, but it's a, it's a longevity thing that, uh, uh, you qualify for it. I forget how many years you, you've had to have been a math or a, a registered guide for so many years, had so many favorable recommendations been approved by the, uh, uh, guide board, uh, before they'll issue you a master guide license. So it takes a minimum of, uh, at least 22 or 23 years to become a master guide because uh, you've had to have done, done your initiation as, as an assistant guide, which takes three years. Then you can apply to take your um, uh, registered guide test, at least at, at this back, back when I did it in, in the 70s. And then uh, then you've had to have been a registered guide, but so, so many hunters had so many favorable recommendations from them and then you can apply for your master guide license. And how many master guides do you think are in the, the state now? I'm you know? not sure. I know um, uh, they they don't reissue a, uh, a master guide license number. I've got one of the one of the lower active master guide numbers right right, right now. What's your and, number? In fact, I remember uh, it's it's eighty. Uh, I remember. When I took my so reg- you were the eightieth guy to become a master guide. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I remember, um, and of course, there's they've all died. You know, since that a lot of times you reach the mass master guide status, it's um, you know, you, you're not around <laughs> much, much longer <laughs> after that. But when I took my registered guide test uh, in 1978, it was a uh, one one of, one of the um, you know. Big, biggest accomplishments of my life up, up, up to that that point. I remember uh, um, did the I did did the written and then I passed the orals and uh, and when I came out of the orals, I was out in the hall waiting and the and the gal that was uh, giving the test that worked for the state. She came out and she said, "Mike." She walked up to me, looked at me. She said, "Congratulations, you're the youngest registered guide in the state." So I was the youngest registered guide in the state at that point. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was a real... So I took her out to dinner that night. Had some, had some fun. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> and then, can you give work. us an example of uh, like a question that you had to answer in the, in the 
orals or, or any any questions yeah. on that test? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I remember, okay, um, for instance, some of the, uh, what was some of the question? Uh, what are the uh, uh, four, four mammals in Alaska that remain white year-round? Uh, that would be uh, a question. Let me let me do let me do that one. I got three of them. Year round, it, it's always the port. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's yeah. Port. I got it. I got there, it. There's a key. Nah, there's a key it's, word it's, it's in a that trick, question. Yeah, it's a trick question. Yep. But I got it. Okay. You and, got it. And now I'm goofed up because now I got to think got about got the question it. again. Dirt <laughs> myth. The, you the got question: it? What are the four mammals no. that remain white year yeah. round? Dirt myth. You got it. I think so. Ridge pounder. You don't. We say it. mammals. Well, don't em- overemphasize yeah. it. So, give so <laughs> I'm guessing there's, there's a whale that stays white. Yeah, we were just talking about yeah. dead ones a minute ago or an hour ago. Yes, the beluga whale. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what the other three are? It, it's amazing how so many people, and they're sitting in my lodge, and some of them are hanging on a wall, and they're thinking, <laughs> they're looking up in the air. You got a balloon hanging on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but we got a goat, and we got a sheep on the, uh, you know, and then, and then, of course, the other one, polar bear. And then, uh, I remember one of the other questions, too, what are the four, uh, four animals that change color with the seasons? Ptarmigan, weasel, snowshoe hare. Arctic hair. No, Arctic hair, snowshoe hair. Well, there's three ptarmigan, so there's three right there. No, come on, you bonehead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so weasels. Weasels, one. Yeah, it it, it goes from a weasel to an ermine. Yep. Mm -hmm. Ptarmigan goes from a regular one to a white one. Right. (laughs) Snowshoe hair goes from a regular one to a white one. Right. What was the one I just said a minute ago? It's the Arctic fox. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so those are the ones. There that, you go. What did I say that you didn't like? Um, oh, uh, Arctic hair. Arctic hair, snowshoe hair. They're all hair. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a trick question. Yeah. Danny, did you have all those? Um, what was the last one? That's what I hung Arctic up on. Arctic yeah, Arctic fox. I didn't have Arctic fox. Rich Founder, you, did, you, did you feel like you did good on any of those? I did good on the, on the first one. You like that little mammal part? Yeah, the mammal part. I got it. Yeah, because you were like, oh, mammals. Uh-huh. And I, re- I do remember <laughs> one, one of the questions I thought was a trick question on the uh, registered guide test was that, uh, uh, and I got it wrong too. But uh, if the qu- question was, when you're standing around the campfire, uh, <laughs> where where does the smoke go? And you know, it was like, but you know, pervading this the, or per- per- pervading that toward beauty. Yeah. yeah. And and the, the the one that I thought 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 was the 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 stupid answer was uh, because obviously when you stand around the fire the smoke's blowing in your face because you know? you're creating a little you're creating a backdrop. Well, I'm not thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Well, they're just they're they're just trying to be funny. You know, but they're, yep. not. But uh, they're actually is truth. Yeah, your body creates a backdrop and the smoke. You know, you're up in smoke and smoke goes up in your face. I was reading about when guys used to use the strategy you're talking about the lean to mm-hmm. and you build a fire you know to try to fill it yeah with some warmth that oftentimes people will build that lean to that it's that the pitch is pitched into the wind thinking that you got a wind protection yeah but how that causes all that smoke to peel up and you actually want to build it so the wind's moving across the yeah. across the mouth 
Right. And not, lean too, not, so it's not exactly. just so you're not just filling not, the whole thing with smoke the whole time. Not only from smoke too, but uh drifting snow too. I mean it it'll do the same thing with, with snow. Yeah. A lot of times what I what How'd I do you keep just freezing your ass, man. No, you don't. Did you have a good bag? Uh oh yeah, yeah. I had a remember my mom, one of my first uh uh gifts she got me when, when I first moved up there my first year was a uh a North Face um expedition bag, uh, you know, down. And I've still got that to the you know you know to this day up up in the loft at the lodge. Yeah, but uh, a lot a lot of times and put your feet or your head toward the fire. I'm sorry, feet or head toward the fire. Um, I think usually my head. Whenever I'd lay down, that you know the head sticking out. That that's what felt the warmth. But my favorite ones, Steve, were I'd be uh, uh, on on trail and I'd decide I'd I'd be spending the night and then um, you know the snow is usually five six six feet deep and you get uh you find these big spruce of course you know the the snow's falling on the branches uh, bringing the branches down and there's a big void at the ba- base of the tree and there's all the dry dead grass underneath there you oh, know like, you mean like a tree well yeah, mm-hmm. yeah 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 and and you know you'd cut uh uh spruce spruce boughs you know the light laying on the bottom and and you crawl up underneath there and you'd uh uh Kick some of the snow out, out you know, at, at the well. You'd get a fire going down there, and you could actually get some pretty good warmth coming coming up underneath there because the fire, you know, the um, it, the the branches would actually hold some of the heat down in there because yeah. the, the branch would have snow on them too, and and you're you're, you're surrounded. So basically, uh, a, a really a nice shelter. And then I'll never forget time just. Uh, uh, falling asleep, you know, because I'd cut the spruce boughs and lay on top of the spruce boughs with a sleeping bag. And just the smell of the spruce and the dead grass and the smell of the fire. It's just, I mean, right now I can still visualize it and sense it. And it just really bring, brings back some nice memories, you know, that kind of stuff. Would you ever come across uh, critters in those those situations where they're down bedded in those warm spots? or No, I, I can't say as I, I ever remember any. They're... Uh, you know, times that that you'd go along and and you'd actually you know either see Martin or Wolverine, you know, scare them up. But I've never actually chased one out of a out of a hole like that. How uh, many uh, how many times have you been attacked by bears? Uh, three times. Yeah, they were. All, they how many, were all, how many skirmishes have you had with bears? I mean, close calls. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Quite a few. I mean, there's quite a few. I've had. Uh, brown bear that uh, when I was tracking a brown wounded brown bear and he had circled around and was coming up behind me in a willow patch. I uh, had a brown bear that uh, had a client. We took um, a brown bear that was off of a moose carcass and the minute we shot, there was a uh, another brown bear that was sleeping in the alders right next to us. We didn't know about that came um, came bounding out. It, it was probably. Uh, 15 feet from us and came bounding out and my hunt client and I turned at time just turned around and I'll never forget that, that the sound of that this one still just make, makes a hair stand up on my neck it's that when she was coming at me she was slobbering and when she would pick up her paws you could hear the claws clacking when she'd pick up her paws and she was <laughs> running at us and she was I have never I have never in my life seen such rage in an animal as as this uh, brown bear had we had we had time to shoot from the hip we had turned turn around shoot from the hip and when she dropped fortunately uh 
it was actually the client's bullet that that hit it in the head. But um, when she dropped, her nose landed landed on, on on my hip boot. But and I'll never forget after that, him and I both sat down and we just started shaking. You know the old what ifs because she was. If she had gotten hold of either one of us, we wouldn't, you know, one of the others wouldn't have been, been here today. Because I've never in my life seen that kind of a rage out of an animal. How'd you get attacked by three black bears? Uh, let me see. One of them uh, had my godparents come out uh, when I first went went out to where I was, uh, you know, staying. Um, they came out one one summer and brought friends of theirs from Texas. They they were from from Texas, and. It was, you know, a little sod roof cabin that, that that we had built that, you know, we'd spend the winter. So I just let them have the cabin, and I slept in a tent outside, and uh, it was in the middle of the night. Um, all of a sudden, I'm sleeping, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm just being shook and drugged. I was like, what the hell, you know? Um, and <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll never forget looking over. that lady from the guide class. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget looking over and seeing the imprint of this bear's nose. I mean, it's still so 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 vivid, and he's through the tent fabric. Yeah, through 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 the, you know you know the nostril holes. You can see him, and he's backing up, trying to drag drag me off in, into the bushes. And and I was sleeping with my forty four, and I just grabbed it real real quick, and you know, shot it in the head. Well, through the tent, through the tent, yeah. Yeah, and it it fell on top of me, and and there I am, all all uh, tied up in sleeping bag and tent, and you know all, and I'll never forget uh, my godparents. They came out, and and my aunt Mary kept kept saying, um, uh, "Lee, Mike's being attacked by the bear. Shoot it, shoot it, shoot it!" And uh, and what it is, I'm trying to push this bear off me, so the bear's humping <laughs> up and down. You know, I try to push it off, and I'm screaming, "No, don't shoot it, don't shoot it, don't shoot it!" Because because of course they're they're from Texas. They weren't real wood, wood savvy. They're just looking well, at shooting like that shoot, bear. But they like to shoot. <laughs> they don't realize that a bullet can go through a bear and into into what's underneath it. You know. So yeah. Did you have any when you were trapping the Wolverines? Did any of those ever you just hear about how aggressive they are? Like had you know, yeah, scratched yeah, up by yeah. Them. There were there was one time uh, had a Wolverine that uh, um. I had I had gone out. I just had my seven mag with me. And I was doing doing the, the the upline trail, so I took the seven mag with me, look, looking for a moose. And went back and uh, back back in the cabin there, and I got I don't know about half a mile away, and was sitting at this um, uh, mineral lake, uh, you know, hope hoping to see a, a moose come in. So sat there for about an hour, did, and said, "Well, I'm going to go go ahead and check check my traps while I'm coming up here." And the night before. It had uh, uh, it had rained and then it had frozen hard, you know. Next morning, but I got up to my actually got up to my first set had a Martin in it, and then got up to the second set, and it was on a uh, uh, a dead snag. I had 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 to, to, a number one and a half tied, tied to the end of a dead snag, and the snag was broken off when I got there. I thought, wow, what happened to this? And I was looking looking for tracks to see where the trap and everything thing went, but everything was frozen, so I couldn't really see much in the way of tracks. And then off in the distance, I hear this snarling, and I knew right away then what had happened. A wolverine had got caught in the number one, broke off the snag, and had took it off. So I, I started beating feet over to where the uh, uh, noise was, and I got there, and there was a wolverine that was caught by one toe, 
and he was he was tangled up in the willows. So I got my seven mag. I didn't want to shoot it with a seven mag, so I started looking around for a, a stick to hit him in the head with. Well, he was just going nuts, you know, trying to pull out that. And uh, I couldn't find a stick, and then all of a sudden he pulled out of the trap and, and just just for a split second, I'm standing there and he's standing here. We're, we're probably 10 feet apart. We, we, we both just stared at each other. <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden he came running at me and he started, I had Carhartt cut coveralls on and he, he hit me and he started climbing up, up my, my, my lace, you know, <laughs> just shredding the car. And the only thing I had was my seven mag. So I had it uh, by the barrel, and I started swinging at it like a baseball bat with a, like the Alamo, by the man. barrel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, but and and it ended up um, ended up breaking the stock off, you know, the the, the end of the stock off the seven mag, you know, when I hit it. So did you get the Wolverine? Knocked, oh yeah, yeah, it not knocked him, knocked him out. He was intent on, but holy but, cow! Yeah. So uh, that's that's the only time I've ever had a Wolverine get a hold of me. So what, I want to get to some more stuff about your your business and whatnot. But what are the other two black bear attacks? Uh, the other one, uh, let me see, had uh, had one where um, uh, when I was building the lodge, and they had they had the plane uh, come in. It was full of full of lumber, and before we left, I, I always bring bring my forty four with me, um, and so. Uh, the plane lands, and the pilot, who's a real, real good friend, friend, friend of mine now, uh, when we taxi up to the bank there, we got got, got out, and we were unloading lumber. And um, all of a sudden, he said, look out. And I tur- turned around, and there was a black bear that had come over the bank and was coming down uh, on, onto us there. You know, and, and then, then he, he stopped. It, 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 it was a false charge. And, and then I'll... Uh, then he turned around and went back up into the shed where we kept all all the horse feed, and that's what what he was doing. So anyway, uh, Jeff said, "You're going to be okay," and I said, "Oh yeah, I, I got, got got my 44 here. It'll be okay." So he said, "Okay, well, I'll go ahead and take off." So he took off, and then I uh, went searching around for my 44, looking at everything. I was like, man, it's not here. Where is it? And come to find out, uh, I had. I had it underneath the seat of the truck, and and I just forgot got got to get it. So ah, no big deal. You know, usually go up there and just yell at them, and then uh, you know they'll go away. Well, went up there and yelled at him, and he come uh, stuck his head out of the door. He had chewed a hole through the door and was uh, uh, eating horse feed, and then he came char- charging me. And the only thing I had was a tree to climb up to that was right by by the lake. So I. Uh, skinnied up the tree, and he hit that tree, and he tried crawling up after me, and um, uh, he made sure I was there. Then, and, and he would, uh, as long as I was there, okay. He went back in, and every time I would try to come down out of the tree, he would hit it again. And he actually got got a one, one point, to, and I was having to kick him in the nose one time. He actually got up there and grabbed a hold of my foot. And was trying trying to pull pull me down down out of the tree, and I was kicking him in the face. So I said, "Well, I'm I'm just going to stand here, let him get get com- comfortable in, in the in the shed." So he went back, and and uh, there was a cabin um, that was about two miles away. I knew it, it it had a rifle in it, and so I 
I finally, after 20 minutes, I'll never forget standing on the branches there and my, my instep just really getting sore. I just couldn't hardly take anymore. So I jumped down. I said, now or never. I jumped down. I mean, I just started running for all it was worth to the, to this cabin. And I, I looked behind me and he wasn't following me. So went there. It was a 308. Uh, he only had three shells for it. Uh, came back up and, um, stuck my head up over the bank and yeah sure enough he was there eating all the food that i <laughs> brought in but he looked so much smaller and i'm thinking to myself wow maybe he looks smaller because i've got a gun now you know so i went ahead and took, took care, care of it and and uh and then i leaned the rifle up against the uh the tree and i started carrying lumber made one load of lumbers and came back got another load of lumber a two by six on my shoulder and when i came up over the lip all of a sudden, the big bear that had me treed come around the corner, started running at me, and and uh, I just took the tuba six, threw it in real quick, and it put on the brakes trying to avoid the tuba six. Gave me time to grab the rifle and get the right shoot, bear. shoot it, get the right bear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, but man. I mean, it, it, it was really like, wow, big man, I've got a gun now. The bear shrinks, you know. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty funny. Uh, so I, I got to know now the third one that attacked you. The third one. Um, oh, I thought that was two and three. But that there's no, a, no, there's no, a four. Uh, no, one was the innocent bystander. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was. Uh, I, I was replacing a piling underneath the uh, underneath the barn, and it was out there. So uh, I had dug out the piling, and I was laying prone on the ground, and I uh, had my head, my my shoulders down in the hole trying to dig out loose dirt from from the bottom. So I'm just stand, uh, laying, laying there, there, there prone. I must have looked. You know, I wasn't moving or anything, just my shoulders. I'd, and uh, and then the, uh, all of a sudden, next thing I know, something's pulling me back. It's like, whoa, something just grabbed a hold of me, just like I was on a bungee cord, you know, started backing You're up. I've still got, 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 still got the scars on my shins from it. And uh, <laughs> turn around and... Uh, and it was a bear had hold of my leg. He was another backing black up. Bear. Yeah, another black bear. And it was, he was backing off. But, but you know, uh, in his defense, he just thought it was dead, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and I rolled, rolled over and, um, uh, and then just started kicking at him. And he was as surprised as why it was. And he, he dropped me like a hot potato and took off through, through, through the woods. So he lived to tell about it. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I, it wasn't his fault, you know. I was just supposed to be dead, you know. <laughs> Once he found out I was alive, it's like, okay, okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my bad. Yeah, yeah, my bad. And then, and then uh, there, there, there was one other time, time with a, um, uh, a small grizzly in, in sheep camp. I had um, during the spring, I had, and, and this was one thing that I thought was really cool. Um, during the spring, I had I had broken my leg, and they had to, I had to be medevaced out of the lodge with a chopper and and all that. Um, and so anyway, I go in, they, uh, you know, get the cast, they set the leg and all that. And I ended up going back out, out to the lodge because I need, needed to be there. That was home, you know. Uh, and usually, you know, in the summer, you know, there are bears in, in the yard every day just, just about. And you just get out there, you get along with them. You know, you, you don't approach them. Everybody gets, gets along just fine. Well, I got out there and uh, the first bear that comes out, oh, look at this, a bear, you know. And, uh, um, I'm out, out on the deck. He saw me, and all of a sudden, he started chasing me and ran ran into the lodge uh, and closed the door. And he 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 hit the door. Then he got it got off off the deck, and then I went back out. And again, it it was like 
um, he was going to get me. And finally, he went away. And that that happened like uh, two other times that that summer. I'm like, why are these bears so mad at me all of a sudden? Then I go out to sheep camp, and uh, uh, the hunters are out on a sheep, and I'm I'm at, at camp. I'm in uh, um, in the kind of the kitchen area we have set set up in the base camp, and and all of a sudden I see this little straggly grizzly walk around the uh, the outside of the weather port, and I don't have my rifle with me, so we're kind of the same distance from the tent. I run to the tent real quick while he's going over there. He sees me start heading over that way. I start heading over there, grab the gun, start running back into the, uh, so I can get some distance between me and him back into the uh, kitchen area. And next thing I know, this uh, little grizzly had, had got, and, and he had reached over and knocked me over with, with, with my paw and I fell on the ground and then rolled over and shot him. And I, I stood up and was like, what is going on? Why are these bears all of a sudden so mad at me? And then the light bulb came on. It's like, ding, ding. You look like a wounded animal. I'm in a cast. I'm hobbling around. Oh, yeah. Nature at its finest. You know, and I thought, yeah, that's what, what what's going on. I'm just hobbling around. They're seeing me as a, as a you know, easy prey, wounded animal. Yeah. At least that's my, my theory on, on the whole thing. And it just seemed like it made, made sense to me all of a sudden. Because like I'm a, a nice like guy. Why gun? else would they yeah, be Yeah, you're like an me? old gunfighter, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that old gunfighter. So what, uh, talk about how you got your, how you go off to start business by yourself and, and ride off on a horse and go make a homestead and start a lodge and that you're going to guide out of. Uh, well, that's. Because uh, that's yep. shit that just doesn't happen anymore. Maybe it does. No, nah, well, I, I don't know if it does or not. Uh, to me, it, it was just. It, yeah. Uh, well, on that note, I was going to ask you: have, Did you ever, through all these years, did you ever meet someone that it was like a peer to you? That you're like, oh, you've kind of done the same thing that I have all these years, um, and became buds with them or knew of them. I actually did one time, and he's uh, um, he's pretty pretty high, high profile. He he's uh, he dead now, but when I was uh, doing my um, um, Float, float instruction. I, I, I took, took the float plane and flew out, flew out to meet him once. But yeah, because you got a pilot. Dick, you got a pilot's license. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dick, Dick Perenke. You know, I always, ever since I was a kid, I, I admired what, what he did. His lifestyle, what he did by hand and uh, drug everything, in by hand. Of course, he didn't have any horses or anything, but um, he had just gone out to Twin Lakes and built that beautiful cabin out there. Lived out there by himself. And that's what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. He was, I guess he was somewhat my inspiration. I remember when I first got to know him, I, I read the book, One, One Man's Wilderness. Yeah, and I met him. And nicest guy in the world, too. You know, it wasn't like he was some kind of crazed hermit, you know, that you show up, uh, get off my land. He, he was just really a very, very, very nice person. He was kind of older, too, when he did that, right? Like oh, he was he in like his yeah. mid 50s or How something. Do you know he was. I don't know how I found out about him, but I used to, there's like a, you can watch like 10 minutes of Alone in the Wilderness. It's like a PBS documentary. Oh, about like him. some old dude washing gravel for his floor and whatnot and makes a cabin. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Was, everybody's dad likes that movie. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I found out about him through that. that yeah. How do you spell his last name, Buck? What's that now? How do you spell his last name? I can't spell it for you. O-E-N-K-E. Buck can't even spell podcast. Isn't isn't there an H in there somewhere? (laughs) Might be an H in there. I was going to ask you about it because, yeah, like everything that you're saying sounds exactly like 
similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I just really, really enjoyed the. I mean that 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 book. I just lay it. They wake and in, in, in Nome, I had to sleep in a broom closet. That was my my, my room. So it was a little little room, and I'd, I'd read read my book, and that was one of my favorite favorite books I remember. Yeah. So there you are. You ride off into the woods to go set up your own to find your own property. Right. Yeah. And it was uh, that's when Jay Hammond was our governor, and as Dan Dan knows he's probably one of the best governors Alaska's ever had. He's got a good reputation. Well, yeah. he sure does. He he was the, he's like the uh, Ronald Reagan of governors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, I mean, he he was all for the for the people. You know, he wanted. Uh, uh, and of course, he he was a guide. He was a pilot. You know, his he, nickname's Bushrat, right? Bushrat yeah, governor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bushrat. But he was he was dead set on on. Um, Every Alaskan being able to have the opportunity to uh, have their own piece of Alaska, have their land. So he came up with a land program called uh, um, a remote parcel. It was a remote parcel program to where you could go out, you could stake up. To, they, they had certain designated areas, you know, that uh, that they set aside for just for this program. You could stake up to forty acres. Um, you had to put your four corners in. You had to pay for the survey, and then um, uh, after the state approved the survey, you paid what the state considered the fair market value. Now you got a discount. You got a fifty percent discount for being a long, long, long time Alaskan. and you got a discount if there wasn't a road to it. You got a discount if there wasn't power to it. Discount, 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 discount. You were saying there's even a discount. I think you were telling me this. Even a discount for whether it was a southerly or northerly exposure. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that, that that was one one of the and they listed the discounts you know that that I was given once I got the uh, uh title to, to the land. I uh um I was get gotten a had a percent taken off of the, what they considered a fair market value because my cabin faced north and not south. So they, they were doing ticket. every everything yeah, they, and they had the no power discount, mm, the no road discount, right, the, the long time Alaska discount. Right. So yeah, what'd you so, pay for the what'd you pay for the place? So it ended up that uh uh I didn't I thought I had all, a lot more than forty acres with what I staked because I staked the whole south side of my lake. Um but it actually only ended up being like twenty six acres. So you, you know? screwed up? Yeah, you were I, allowed I, forty. You went up twenty six. I was what twenty one years old. I had no idea what forty <laughs> acre. I thought, man, this is more land than I'll ever use. <laughs> so anyway, after uh, and I was shaken. That how uh, I'm just a poor trapper out there. I mean, I I, I don't have any money. So because uh, you went off and found this place on horseback. Yeah, just looking yeah. at a map. Right. Yeah, that was before GPSs and all that. I just lo- loaded up all the horses and. And uh, well, well, let's go that way. It's got to be over here somewhere. So we were snaking our way through the trees, and all of a sudden, I kind of saw an opening in the trees. I said, um, "That's got to be the lake over there." And the lake is actually a glorified beaver pond. It's real, yeah, yeah. real, real small. It's um, got good grayling in it. Oh man, grayling rainbow, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, and so took the horses and started wandering over that way. And I don't remember I came out on the north or the. Uh, uh, the upper end of the lake, and when we came, came out of the tree, bright, beautiful, sunny day, there was a, a moose out there. This was the end, end of July. There was a moose out there. He'd be going underwater, and he'd come back, and lily pads are dripping off of his antlers. And it was just one of the things. I was like, this is it. This is where I want to be, you know. And I wanted the southern exposure, so I took the horses, and I started riding around the other opposite side of the lake, but it was just all swampy, you know. I mean, he had to... It was like 
I don't know what, 40, 50 yards of swamp before you actually got, got to some dry land. And it, it was just really disappointing. And finally made the whole circle of it. And then I came at to the outlet of the lake and came on to the, uh, the only place where you've got dry land all the way down, down to the lake. And that's where I went, went ahead and decided to stake the land. And when I staked it, um, I didn't know know at the time that it had that nice little bench, you know, where the lodge is now up, up above the lake. I didn't find that out until later. And it just, it just ended up, uh, you know, all the planets aligned and it just kind of made a dream come true. So you stake the whole thing out and send your form off in the mail and you're sweating it, thinking it's going to be a shit Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going to come up with thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 or whatever? And I opened it up in the envelope, and it ended up being $600. <laughs> After this, I said, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I can, I can, I can scrape up 600 bucks somewhere. That's just a couple of Wolverine. So you, like, start dragging, cutting logs and dragging them with your horses yep. and build after, a whole damn After cabin. that, of course, I'm, I'm walking on cloud nine. I've got my own land, you know. Uh, and... Um, the actually from where the lodge is now, you can't even you couldn't even see the lake because it was that that he- he- heavily treed. So I started dropping trees and uh, um, pulling them in to uh, start building a lodge, and you know just clearing the land and just uh, everything starts snowballing. You know, just start you know working on it. Because when you say lodge, it's like it functions as your hunting lodge, but it's it's a cabin. Yeah, it's basically a cabin. And, but, and you got, but out, in, you got it, outbuildings. In Webster definition, it would be considered a lodge. It's a gathering place. Yeah, well, because yeah. you, have, you have other cabins yes. you built for guests exactly. over the years and built yeah. a barn. And, and plus, I say it's a lodge, so it's a lodge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I feel that like people hear lodge and they think that that kind of like fakey, you know, that kind of like fake faux Western kind of lodge where you where you cut out little caribou moose out of sheet metal and whatnot yeah, and hang no. on everything. Or, yeah, have flamingos, pink flamingos in the yard, that kind of thing. No. It's like yeah, a yeah. it's like a bush cabin, man. Yeah. But very comfortable. But you oh, drink you're pretty, you're pretty, yeah, you pretty drink, much have all the comforts of home. It, yeah, you drink rainwater it, and it does have, have an out and out, but uh, you know, for you know, uh totally off the grid. Uh, uh, I've got solar power with inverters, you know, so I'm not not having, having to run generators to supply everything. Uh, the refrigerator freezer runs off propane. Uh, you know, the stove, of course, is propane. So and you're every- flying it out in your own float plane? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gave up on horses? Uh, yeah, we got rid of the last horses in 95. Because they just died off. Well, yeah. And, you know, they were always just glorified pets anyway. They were worth their weight in gold in August and September. Other than that, they were just a pain in the ass, you know, and they're just a glorified pet. And yeah, we, I mean, they, they all had their personalities and we, we, you know, really enjoyed them. But, but you it stood, just got. You stood that, you stood the lodge using horses, though. Oh, yeah. 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 You use them to haul the logs in for the, for the lodge. Yeah. And lift them. Uh, and lift them. Yeah. And have, have a rope pulled over, uh, you know, one end or one, one side of it. And then on the other side, have, have old Poncho, you know, just pull them up, uh, you know, the skids from one side or the other. Yeah. How long would the horses last uh, during the, those, like, were as a working functioning animal, years wise? Uh, well, I had I had heard that I had heard that Poncho uh, he didn't die until he was like thirty something you know, years old. So like dirt. he he was pretty pretty <laughs> tough. As far as the, you know, all the other horses, I'm not sure when they died, but when 
we uh, we got rid of them. They were probably nine, ten years old, and they were still, you know, uh, good, good, rangy working horses. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did someone come get them, or how'd you get them out of there? Uh, yeah. Uh, let me see. Ended up uh, riding them over to the other side of the up through Rainy Pass and up up on the other side there, and then uh, uh, we actually sold some of them to Rain, Rainy Pass as well. You know, so we some were, of those horses, it wasn't just a one-way ticket. Some of those horses made it back out. No, 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 no. It was a one-way ticket. They they, they never saw town again. Okay. Uh, so they stayed in the bush. These, Yeah, they stayed in the bush. They just went went to the other side of the Alaska Range. You know, rode them over there. How did you learn how to build your cabin? Uh, Watching that old movie about the guy washing gravel. Alone in the wilderness. Oh, there, uh, I remember getting a book... Uh, Who's the guy? Uh, what was his name? Um, Tom Walker. You remember? No. Uh, uh, he had a. Uh, it was in the seventy. He had a book on uh, you know a how to on you know to notch logs. It was actually and a how to book. Well, yeah, well, he, he kind of wrote, wrote, wrote as a how to, but but uh, Tom, Tom Walker he he was actually a uh, uh, more noted as an as an outdoor photographer. But he did kind of the same thing. Him and his wife went out and. Built a built a, a place out in the woods. You know, they just wanted to get get off the grid and live in the woods. And he made a book about it and had a lot of pictures. Fortunately, he had pictures in it. You know, so, so you're uh, scribing and saddle notching and all that kind of. Oh yeah, yeah, and and actually, you know, it, there, there's nothing to it if, if you pay attention to it, it. There's nothing to it. You can make, uh, you know, you you have to make make sure that, that that you cove the inside of your saddle notch. You know, so when you compress them, it, it compresses together real well and um you know you just i you know you can do do the full suite of scribe it which uh which i didn't do you know i'd lay lay the logs on the ground so i'd have three logs on the ground take a chainsaw run in between them to uh get get them closer to you know to where they were they were matching and then you'd put one up and then you'd scribe your uh saddle notch and then you'd uh uh first uh rough it out with a with like a sheet sheetrock knife, the line, you know, then uh, you'd use your chisel and, and chisel out the wood, and then use a the chainsaw to gouge, gouge it out, and then um, roll it over, and there it is. Yeah, you chinking with moss, the old school way, or um, no, no, I used uh, strips of fiberglass. Okay, yeah, yeah, I didn't want to do the moss thing. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So it, what- and, and they and actually, you know, Dan, they were no. It, you know, doing that method of just running the the, the chainsaw bar right right in between when they're they're close together, and then then they you marry use, up better. Like yep, yeah, I can yep, picture and that. Then use log, log dogs to uh, hold them together and do it again. And, and log you could dogs. Get, yeah, yeah, they're called log dogs. They're they're it's like jaw dogs, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're bars that are hook hook hooked at each end. You drive them in and it holds the logs together. You yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. No. When uh. When you talk about, and I don't want to present this as though you disparage your clients because you certainly don't, but when you talk about how hunters are becoming more and more cupcakes all the time, are you doing it because you're comparing it to what you've been through or are you doing it because you're comparing it to other hunters from the past? Clients. Yeah, I guess I guess I still, still live old school. I know what I went through. I mean, if it would... Uh, if it was raining and misery, you know, and and I mean, I'm not 
in those days, there wasn't no police or anything. It was either wool or blue jeans, you know. And and me, I'd hunt in blue jeans. I'd just get wet and I'd stay wet and, and just didn't care. And maybe it was just because I don't enjoy that now. But at the time, I didn't, didn't, didn't even, even think about it. But it's just being all wet all the time. Yeah, being all wet all the time or having to, you know, slog through the alders or, uh, you know, uh, eat your food while water's run, running off your hat. And, you know, none, none of that stuff ever, ever bothered me. Um, a lot of the uh, change, change or uh, hunting has changed a lot. And, you know, the, the old tra- tra- traditional hunting ways. And I kind of, for some reason, want to blame it on the. Uh, uh, since the electronic age has kind of taken over, it's just things have just become too easy, you know, for for uh, hunters. And you know, um, there's a couple of forces that are wor- working here too. You know, a Explain lot of the, a lot of them, the uh, these hunts have gotten to where they're so expensive. You know, there's um, some of the guys that uh, they can't afford to go home without having been successful on on their hunt you know simply for the fact that they couldn't afford to do another one they've saved all their life to do do this and um and so they they well she, she, she you you got some of the more expensive stuff we do yeah sheep sheep and 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 moose moose now it, it, it's grown grown to be uh one, one of the high dollar hunts and of course brown bear is too so so guys save up their whole life. Yeah, and so the the, the whole um, you know the the pressures on them when when they come up not to enjoy uh, you know enjoy their hunt enjoy their their whole surroundings go out and 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 just uh, you know legitimately hunt the animals uh, look for them they need the animals to be there they can't go home without one and uh, you know unfortunately a lot, a lot of these people they're the uh, you know, loggers, farmers, blue blue collar workers that 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 uh, that kind of money is a lot of money to them. And um, you know, how in the world can they go home and face their family, face their wife, face their their friends with them, thinking you spent all that money and you didn't get anything? Yeah, you know, uh, it's so really coming kind into of, it so, with a different set of expectations. Exactly right. Yeah, and then and then there, there there's the other force too that. Uh, uh, there's the ones that, uh, you know, that kind of money, uh, is just pocket change. You know, they, uh, they leave, uh, you know, they leave cocktail hour, jump on a plane, uh, you know, two days later they're up there and, and they're shooting a, a pre-designated sheep, you know, one that's already been picked out for them. And, and then, uh, uh, they shoot the sheep the next day they're right back down to, cocktail hour you know with with their friends so if that person doesn't get a sheep you know there's the humiliation factor how am i going to face my friends and tell them that uh you know i didn't get a sheep so a lot of people that this you know the the fun has got out of gone out of the hunting because the pressure is on for them to be be successful now they're talking about the technology issues uh well you know the um you know, back back in the days when I first started, uh, uh, the plane dropped you off. You waved bye bye, said "see you" in, in ten, ten days. You know, and now you've got all the you've got the in reaches, you got the satellite phones, you've got the GPSs, you know, EPIRBs, everything. I mean, 
you can't hide anymore. I mean, uh, and it's a thing where, uh, oh, we're not seeing much. We need to call somebody to come in and either move us or look around or, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's too easy to quit. It, uh, you know. Because in, in the old days, you, you, you were there whether you were just there. Yeah, you no were there. And get it, out of there. If you got, if you were sick, you know, and I've had a hunter recently that uh, after two days, he wasn't seeing much. So all of a sudden he was sick and he need, needed out. And uh, uh, just as soon as he got out, it was a miraculous change. He was just fine, you know. Um, but I, I, I guess, guess the point being is that it's just, um, it's too, too easy to give up where it, you know, back, back before the electronic age, if you have this, this ability to, to come out, to call somebody to, you know, come, come, come in and get you, you either hunted or you sat there and you pouted, you know? Um, so what else are you going to do? And then, and, and it's, it's, um, if you're, if you're not seeing much, you know, you, um, uh, you just keep on it. I mean, you just don't quit, and eventually it's gonna, it, it's gonna, gonna, gonna happen. So, but, but I feel like you're saying, I understand you're saying two different things, but I just want to clarify the two things because on one hand, you feel that it's gotten so expensive where a sheep hunt, a doll sheep hunt, if you're, if you're coming in, and you need to hire an outfitter, a guide, a doll sheep hunts what? Oh, well over twelve thousand dollars, right? Oh, well over. Uh, we're we're on the lower end of the scale of the uh, of the price of sheep hunts. We're probably about average to to lower end. There's some sheep hunts that uh, um, these outfitters they they have a a complete Air Force, you know, a Super Cub, so they have to pay for it. And they um, so. Their sheep hunts are going to be a lot higher. They're they're going to be up around twenty five, thirty thousand dollar range. Whoa! Yeah, ten days. Yeah, but but you're and they and they do a lot of pre scouting. Yes, before the season. Uh, yeah, and and you know, and I'm, I'm not I'm not going to be grudge those people to them. Uh, I mean, if they if they have that ability, they have the uh, and some some. Something has to pay for all those airplanes. Something has to pay for all yeah. that, and they're catering to the people that that they will not take no for an answer. You know, they paid for sheep hunt; they're going to get a sheep. And but that, I guess that that's a question I want to that, that I don't really understand because you're saying that with the money, people come and they have to get a sheep, or else it's humiliating to them, or or not only or it's humiliate. like an ego thing, and they got to get a sheep. The and, hunt, and, and, the hunt's a failure if they haven't. Uh, yeah, there's, but on the other hand, you're saying it's too easy to quit. Yeah. So, how how do those things coexist? They they have to get a sheep, but then they don't have what it takes to get the sheep, and then they feel disappointed right. by the experience. Exactly. So yeah. then, when that happens, then they're having to pass the buck to somebody. You know. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. So so then it's a uh, well, I didn't get my sheep because. The river was high, so the outfitter shouldn't have had me going in when, when the water was high. Or uh, I didn't get my sheep because uh, um, there was no mayonnaise in camp for my sandwich. You know, I mean, and, and, and I'm serious. You know that I mean, they'll, they'll come up with all these ridiculous little reasons why the whole hunt was a failure, and they come up with all these little things that culminate into one big thing to where you know the hunt 
it was a failure. They, uh, um, uh, and it, a lot of this stuff, it, 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 instead of being honest with themselves that they either physically weren't able to do it or it was, you know, uh, beyond, beyond their physical means to actually do it, even though the outfitter provided them with a good sheep area, uh, provided them with a fair, fair chase hunt, um, you know, uh, that we had a tough first couple of days. We didn't see any sheep. So obviously, uh, you know, I've been here two days and, and I'm an expert on the sheep movements now, you know, there are going to be no sheep here, you know, get me out of here. It, 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 and it, it, so- it's just all them going back and convincing them people that, that, it uh, they, um, didn't get their animal because, they themselves um, had quit on it. It was uh, somebody's fault, you know. Because, and you feel that it's like that. There's something's happened where it's different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, because You're it, it was people it, coming with different expectations. Yeah, I mean, because it was uh, you didn't have the uh, uh, you know, and that, another thing when you were. In those days, when you're go, going out, you had to pretty much put everything in your back, and you, and you had, had had to go. Uh, a lot of the uh, um, expectation then, it, it, they 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 went in knowing full well that that they were going to be miserable for ten ten days, but you know uh, they were going to hunt. Where now it's that uh, um, you know with all the new equipment with all this and that, you know, that everything's, you know, perfect. People but, feel like they solved the uncomfortable yeah, part. Yeah, and, and and people feel like after having spent this money that they have bought this animal. No. It, it just the whole, I don't know. It, it, they, there's too much of this thinking that the, these animals are going to come in and surrender because they, they know they paid this much for this hunt. But you still like the business, though. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, you can't I, I even, still, people that want to book you know, and, people that want to book a hunt with you can't even book a hunt with you. And and that, that that's not not all all hunters either. There, there's still the the hunters out there that 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 yeah. I mean, that's what uh, they could be millionaires, but but that's what they're wanting to get away, get get out there and Soft. do do the fair chase. They don't want. A plane to fly around and, and spot that they they want to find that sheep on their own. They want to be the one going around the corner. Hey, nobody help help me find you know them and their guide, and don't nobody help us find the sheep. You know we hunted it on on our own. Give me a bag of granola bar. Let's go out there. Let's hit it. Let's let's uh let's sidewash up on the side of the mountain. Let's let let's sleep underneath a tree. Let's sleep under the stars. You know they're uh, and. In this day and age, I'd say that's maybe thirty percent of a lot of the hunters you get you know, that are actually. And when they get get their, I'd say probably seventy five percent of the hunters now, once they get their their animal, it's uh okay, get me back to town. I got to get home. You know, uh, there's still the a good proportion of them like what we get. You know that I don't want to go home. I want I'm I'm, I'm on vacation. I want to stay stay out here. But but those. Those kind of hunters are getting further and further away, you know. In your mind, what makes a good client, and what makes a good hunter? A good a good client is is a one that um, 
is going to go out there and and, uh, and realize that uh, everything is not going to be perfect. There's going to be times when they're going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be times when when it's going going to rain. There's going to be times you know the, you know de- dealing with with uh, some some of the elements. Um, you know more more than anything, it's a uh, yeah de- dealing that they're going to have to deal with elements that that are going to be uncomfortable. Um, they're going to have to um, realize there, there's going to be times when uh, uh, the game isn't going to be, in a particular area, isn't going to be as plentiful. I mean, there's no fences around, around, around these areas. They have to go in there know, knowing that that they're going to have to hunt uh, for their animal. The animal's not going to come in and surrender. You know? So what makes a good hunter in your mind? Uh, one one that... Uh, um, is has a positive attitude at every day, and um, that when when he's out out there they're hunting, hunting he's he's happy and just and just have having a great time, and not uh, um, you know not stressed out thinking I've got to have this animal and uh, you know when when's it going to happen? So you the know? content you feel the contentment pays off. Or exactly, the yeah. Pays off. Then, you know, you know the hunter that wakes out, walk, walks out of the tent in the morning, and looks around, sees where he's at, sees the mountain, whether it be in you know moose country where you're you're in a, either in a swampy area, but but you know you're outdoors. That, that there, there's more to the hunt than killing the animal. You know, and uh, do you feel like optimism helps get animals killed? You're speaking Yanni's language if you say yes. <laughs> uh, well, I, don't, I mean, optimism helps. I don't. I don't know if it draws the animal in. If it, oh look, there's a happy person. I'm going to go talk to him. You know, I don't think it's the same thing like like that. No. But you know what I mean. I think you just said it. Prior, what Yanni means. Prior to that, you said that like you got to have a good attitude. Yeah, all and, the time. And, and I, I think an attitude. Prob- maybe there is a, just some something out there that. Uh, you know that like a person, cosmic forces. Yeah, a person is rewarded for going out there and being a, having a positive attitude. Person is rewarded for going out there and just enjoying being in the outdoors. And and uh, um, you know, and 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 may, maybe it's that attitude too that, that naturally makes them get out there and hit it harder and enjoy it more. Now and, you're speaking Yanni's language because Yanni yeah. believes. That uh, you tell them what tell them what, tell everybody what you believe. <laughs> <laughs> I believe a lot of things. Can you narrow it down a little bit? How you feel that um, that you're not sure what the controlling mechanism is. You're not sure like what forces in the universe control this, but you feel that radiating an optimism. Oh no 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 not at all. I feel that like optimism directly correlates to your success because you go out there and instead of being like probably ain't gonna see shit today and walking through the woods <laughs> not you know not like not expecting to see something over the next hill not being ready to see something over the next hill not being like all constantly thinking like oh it's about to happen and actually being ready in the moment and and like foreseeing it in your head just like they say, like even though you've never done something, if you run that scenario through your head a gazillion times, you're going to perform better when that moment happens. So constantly in your head, being ready and being positive. Because if yeah, if you wake up in the t- and look out of your tent and go, 
Probably not going to see any sheep today. Well, guess what? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> you know, Steve, it, it, he, he's really set a mouthful. I, I mean, I, I think he's on to something because it, it really does feel that way some, 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 sometimes. And, you know, it, it kind of affects everybody in camp, too. You know, when, when people have that attitude, you know, it, it can kind of uh, slough off onto the guys or whatever. It, it, you just kind of get a little discouraged sometimes. But keeping that positive attitude, it, it seems like, yeah, maybe. Here's where it falls yeah. apart. Let's say there's a sheep hunter or whatever. There's a, there's a squirrel hunter, okay? And he's like so positive and so optimistic that he's like, I'm not even leaving the tent. <laughs> it's I, I know, I know that if I sit right here looking out the door of this tent, a sheep will come up here. And then you're just a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you may laugh, but that that's probably actually happened. And it, it's happened with us a few times where we've gotten lucky. It doesn't happen all the time. But oh, Everybody's got those stories. Oh, oh, I know. Yeah, but they're so far and few, few, yeah. few between. <laughs> but you remember. But Giannis used to, when Giannis was guiding, he would have to give, he would give pep talks to try to maintain. He took it upon himself to maintain the client, to, to, to feed the client the type of optimism that he felt is necessary to articulate it for him. Yeah, did it work? I thought so. Yeah. I had pretty he good used track to record. do little pep talks for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what? for some reason, quit. <laughs> Don't do a crew R- pep R- talks Ran now. out of pep. Yeah. You still got a little pep. Yeah. Yeah. You, you'd be lost without Giannis. He keeps. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Yeah. No. He, quits, he, I quit. He he reigns in every now and then. I bet. Yeah. No. I, I, if no, if he if he want, if he got out of the biz, I'm getting out of the biz. <laughs> Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want. Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom aunt grandma whoever and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to okay it's easy to upload and share photos via the aura app and if you're giving an aura as a gift 
You can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. You already got a job, Buck. I'd let you. You're the only, you're the only qualified candidate. I got a job, meaning what? Hidden Alaska Outfitters. Yeah. So let's say someone wants to come hunt with you. They're kind of shit out of luck, right? Unless they want to wait till twenty thirty or whatever it is. Oh no, no, we got uh, we we still got openings, you know, here and there. We, uh, we usually pretty much stay booked up on the average, you know, you know for for a couple of years in advance. I mean, we've got hunters that right now are booked out into uh, two thousand twenty two. How do they know what they want to be doing in twenty twenty two? I don't know. Well, and, and that's actually what I asked this guy. He said, uh, and this was like two years ago when he booked it. You know, I was like, I was like we, can, we can be dead by then. You know? And of course, you, have to have, you need to put a deposit down to hold, hold a hunt. You know? So and, he's like, in five years or four years, I would like to go sheep hunting. Yeah, I mean, I was Here's really my confused. Deposit. Yeah. I said, why, why are you doing this now? He said, well, I just want to lock in the price now. And, you know, it, it, it's a good thought, Maybe too. he's retiring or something. The, no. That, oh, so you honor that. If he books it now, yes. even in 2022, he gets right. to pay the if 2018 he books price. For, right, yeah. If he books in 2018 for the year uh, 2022, I'm going to honor that. Too, but he could be divorced or married. I don't know what oh, he's got going on. There's a hundred yeah. things that could happen. Yeah. What's, so, what? It's a hundred things that could happen to me, too, you know, What's mostly causing the, these big increases in the prices? Is it just gas and I think infl- I think it's just because, because they can. I mean, people pay them, you know, and uh, you know, just uh, uh, and then you know I I do do the shows and and uh, yeah, there's a lot of this. God, I can't believe how much these hunts cost now. You know, then they uh, they keep going up and say. Yeah, I know, and I, and it just and if you don't keep up, you know, keep with the um, uh, the going trend, you know, the going price, and 
then uh, there's something wrong with you as an outfitter, and that uh, why aren't you charging as much? You know, something, something must be wrong with you. With you if it's yeah, not. exactly. Yeah, you don't. No one wants some bargain basement. Yeah, huh? so it's not not that I'm, I'm greedy. I'm just trying trying to stay with it. And I've had other outfitters come up and say, "Man, you need to rate, rate your prices," because they see that, and of course, they're uh, you know they don't want a quality outfitter giving away a cheaper hunt. Have you? Um, I feel like you told me this. You've kind of lost your. Uh, you've lost your taste for hunting personally. Yeah, not so much like the you taste. Like, you, of like, you like being with you like guiding more than you like hunting now. I just kind of lost, you know, the enthusiasm. You do uh, not the, yeah, the enthusiasm. I guess because I've been I've hunted so much and and just have taken everything and gone through the whole the whole thing. My myself personally going on a personal hunt. It just doesn't. Uh, um, thrill me as much as it used to. Just, just like trapping too. I trapped for, you know, years and years and years, and and loved it. And that's not that I, but now it, you know, been there, done that. That doesn't really hold that much appeal for me anymore. There's a lot of times at the end of a hunt, I'll have have a client say, "Hey, you need to come down after the hunting season and come whitetail hunting with us." And you know, sitting in a, um sitting in a tree stand at, you know, 20 degrees in the Midwest looking out over a cornfield. Man, last thing I want to do is, uh, you know, after after hunting for a full season, go hunting again. I'm going to go lay on a beach in Hawaii or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, at what age did that start to fade, the enthusiasms fade? I don't know. I, I guess I'd, uh, I don't know. I guess I really first noticed it probably um, six, seven, eight years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not that that, that I, I, if I go out and do it, I I, I enjoy it. And and may, maybe it's because too that uh, uh, I live that lifestyle every day. I've got I've got it any, any day day of the week I want. So maybe it's just yep. just kind of a thing where um, I'm not. Uh, it's not something I'm never going to be able to do do again, you know. And and, and there, there there's times I'll get up just like we were talk, talking about about moose. I still get just the biggest thrill about going out and calling in moose. I mean, yeah. Well, you're that, all excited that, about fun. you're all excited about our hunt right now. Oh, absolutely, I am. Yeah. You act about other people's hunts the way people act about their own hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I know what you're going to be seeing when you get out there. I know where you're going to be, the country you're going to be in, and you, me knowing you the way I do, it, it's just it, it's right up your alley. You're just gonna, you're just gonna be um, uh, pleasantly surprised what you're gonna see out there. Mm-hmm. You know that the that the country, the beauty, the ruggedness, you know of it of the whole thing. So, how much longer do you think you'll run your business for? Um, Probably till I die. I mean, the only really? way I the only way I can afford to retire is if I die. You know, so. Yeah, but how much money are you making off those birch bowls you make? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making much because I give them away to people like you. I know you do. Giannis. <laughs> oh, we feel guilty about it. And we made up a deal today. We made up a little wager by which we would determine which of us got first picks out of the two bowls. But the uh, wager, I thought the, you already picked out the one you want. No, I know the one I want, but I haven't picked it yet. And then, yeah. you know, I caused. Recently, I caused great physical harm to Giannis. 
And um, so that's weighing on my mind. But then we made this side wager by which we determine who gets which bowl. And the wager kind of fell apart, so we're going to keep struggling with it. Uh, well, yeah, but Buck uh, cuts burls off old-growth birch and hollows it out into beautiful bowls. Do you ever think about selling them online direct instead of selling them to tourist yeah. shops? I've actually, uh, yeah, really thought, thought about doing my own website with it. And uh, Dude, uh, it'd know, be so much like better. That. Here's the thing. When you take, the, you take that beautiful bowl that you made up at your lodge, okay, and you bring it to some tourist shop, and some hoser comes off a cruise ship and buys it, he don't know you, he don't know the story behind it. No, you're right. He does it, then he dies, and this kid brings it down to Goodwill. If you had it, that you had a place where you sold them for more money, I'll sell the damn things for you. Where it was like, here's what the guy, here's the story of the guy that made this, and here's how he goes about it. And this is a Buck Bolden damn bowl. It'd be way better. Because yeah. that way it wouldn't be falling into the hands of the undeserving. You're, you're probably it's, right there. It wouldn't there. be as likely to fall into the hands of the undeserving. One of my guides that has been guiding with me, he'd been with me for. Uh, this would have been his twenty third year. Wow. He makes knives now, and um, each he's knife. Euro- he's the European, right? Uh, uh, yeah, from Sweden. Yeah, he uh, uh, every knife he sells, there's a little biography with it that that he goes and put puts with, with it, and and tells a little bit how how it happened. You know his his uh, you know background on making knives and everything, and how the knives came to be. And so, yeah, I, I think I think I you're right. That, I don't know that. I don't really know if that's what, yeah, something. But it is. I because mean, I don't yeah, know that people are like, they, I don't yeah. think they're picturing how the bowl came into existence. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, isn't there the whole backstory of the, like the birch in your area happen to have more of these Well, they're, they're, they're old growth. Yeah. Basically, uh, a burl is just a fungus, you know, and right. so there'll be, uh, so the you'll find pockets of them. The, Burls as a reaction to the fungus. To the fungus, right? Yeah, and and they're actually per- pretty rare. But but uh, um, you know when you when you find a birch that's going to have a burl on it, stay. It's just like hunting mushrooms or something. You know, stay right there and look around at the other birds because there's going to be probably other birds that have have them. You know, you be in a little pocket body. of burls. Yeah, yeah, because that, that 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 fungus will will have affected those, those trees in that in that area. You know. What what kind of markup do these cruise ship tourist shops? What, what are they? What what, the, what what kind of markup do they put on your birch bowls? I have no idea. I just know that it's just like a. Um, they get thirty nine percent. Where they come up with the figure thirty nine percent? I don't know. Three nine. But that's what. Yeah, that's where they. Uh, that's their they, markup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sell the bowls. Do you sell them direct? But it doesn't. There was one time that I uh, uh, this. Um, Guy to make 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 some knives. I tell you about he uh, he talked me into getting a booth at the Saturday market there, and I I, I just finished thirty bowls. So I thought, okay, I'll I'll, I'll try it. And I'm thinking I'm going to have have to go there and just sit there and and uh, you know maybe one or two bowls or something. But went there and and uh, sold like twenty five of those bowls just in one day, <laughs> just just like that. A few hundred bucks a piece. And some of them were, yeah. But I mean, they 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 went just like 
I, I was amazed at the at the reaction of it. But see, that's but more then, acceptable to me to do it that yeah, way. Yeah, and some and, guy and, going and, off and a cruise ship, and man. it was it was fun too. And and but um, you know, I've never since that time been been able to get ahead enough with that that that, that much of an inventory. How many can you make in a year? Yeah. I mean, if I dedicated myself to uh, right now, I, how, I should say, how many do you make in a year? Um, Back before the fire, I've, I've been recently consumed with the last few few years and and uh, doing some rebuilding out the lodge after fire, but uh, um, I could probably if I dedicated uh, uh, just going full time on making the bowls, I'd probably uh, at different stages uh, about a hundred hundred and fifty in a, in a summer probably I could do. If so, if you had to give up moose hunting or give up carving birch bowls. Which would you pick? Give up moose hunting or give up birch bowls? Yeah. Well, I don't understand why I would have to give one of one of the other them up. <laughs> God came down and put a gun to your head. Man. Yeah, I just said, okay, yeah, damned if you do or damned if you don't. Huh? Yeah. Oh, huh. <laughs> I, I, I guess you don't I like would, that kind of question. I guess I would just have to give up the. Uh, well, yeah, because it just doesn't make any sense to me. I could, I could, I could shoot a moose and come back and make a birch bowl the same day. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough, man. Yeah. That's fair enough to call the question to, to yeah. question the question. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I suppose I would give up the, uh, the the moose hunting. What? I'm sorry. I, I, I just really enjoy make, making those those bowls. I yeah, they're beautiful bowls, man. Oh, they're yeah. works of art. I've cool. seen them, crap. and I like They're it because cool, I look man. at it and I think about you know I look at it and think about you you know and the stories you told me and kind of like your place and hmm. you know big pile of burls you got laying. Oh every yeah, which you way. saw them too, didn't yeah. you? When you were out there, you saw them. Tell you what, do you? I don't know if you remember this. First time I went out to your place, there was a moose shed antler laying right, basically right where you park your plane. Yeah, up on the, the and then and then when you had the fire, that antler got all burned up. It did, yeah, it did. That that is displayed that burnt, charred moose antler. Charred moose antler, which stank to high heaven. Danny, you remember this? <laughs> yeah. When I brought it out, but eventually dried out in Danny's wood shop. Yeah. That is displayed in a very prominent place in my home. Like where? Well. The one piece of heirloom sort of furniture that my wife has from her family is this, I can't remember what you call it, man, an a armoire. Yeah. It's not a word I use lightly. An armoire. It's up on top of that. And I've had people try to buy it from me. But why? Because I mean, it's, it's a crazy a, burned up, up giant moose antler, man. You look at it and you're like, I haven't seen one of those before. Plus, it's a crazy antler. And the way it's got that weird extra tine oh, yeah. Yeah, holds that, that, it up. That drop tine, yeah. And so it's like a it's like a flame itself because that drop tine holds it up so the, the paddle the paddle reaches up to the sky but it flames out in the shape of a flame yeah. and it's flame scarred and burnt and people come in and I just had someone try to buy it off me. Wow, for why? I mean, during why, the process of what, selling during the process of selling my house. 
what was the appeal of that thing to him then? Because it's crazy looking. Yeah. Huh. It's beautiful. Hmm. It's like, uh, it's found art, man. You don't know what you gave up. And why I, I want it back now. <laughs> I was going to say, you might as well yeah. throw all your sheds into another building that you light it on yeah. fire. Yeah. Oh, and man, that was so sad when, that, when, when the barn went up because that, uh, that, the whole uh, uh, upper barn, the, the loft was uh, just stacked with years of uh, sheds that I'd found. Yeah, there, was, there was a whole pile of them up in there. Valuable. It was sad. I guess I don't know from what they are, but but to me it was more more sentimental thing. All these years of these sheds, and now they're gone. And then I remember I had just uh, there was 113 of the birch poles that I had back in the barn. Done that that I would, yeah they were almost done. I, I just had had to finish and did the finish sanding on them, all up in flames. Man, yeah. Hey Danny, talk about the great antler theft that you suffered. Yeah, I uh, I had been accumulating both shed and shot moose antlers and i had uh, quite a stack of them <laughs> quite a stack of them yeah my my friends call it the pile of shame <laughs> the and, pile of shame and uh <laughs> when i moved over to this house they yeah they took up residence like under the eve of my workshop out he used the to wrap them around a spruce tree yeah and he had a stack you know where, way where'd up you, the damn tree. Where'd you find them all? I mean, just, just in your travels out there? Out yeah, there, just traveling for work and traveling yeah. for hunting trips. And, you know, huh. and a lot of them were just moose I'd shot or been people with caribou people who didn't want. Yeah, it's caribou antlers and you name it. Just a great big pile of antlers out there. And somebody you know? just walked in and stole them all? Yeah, somebody came over the fence from the park out back. And, you know, there's a market for them now for the, like, the dog chew trade, right, you know, yeah. and it's been a hot ticket for theft around Anchorage, man. And I, a friend of mine that lives right in the neighborhood here, he had somebody came home from work one day as a guy on a ladder trying to take him off the side of his garage. <laughs> Damn. Then, you, oh, hardcore Jeff, he got ripped off. That, that's what I'm talking about. Well, you better yeah. put a chain around that one you got outside your door up there then. I, oh, every time I come home, I check and make sure it's still there. there yeah. yeah, I love that. I love Rig those antlers. That's, that's a, hand that's a up, nice rack. Rig a hand grenade up that Come from you, that means the a house lot. and the pin to the... Antlers, man. <laughs> yeah but yeah they were i i uh what well, yeah one morning i i uh was just knocking around in the yard and something didn't feel right I looked the whole pile is <laughs> just gone <laughs> just gone how many how many would here. you estimate were in there oh maybe like a six or eight sheds and then yeah. probably a, no more than that man you know including caribou antlers probably maybe a couple dozen sheds and then uh Jeez. probably eight or ten just you know, like sets of sh- sh- antlers together on a skull plate mm-hmm. that were shot. You know, just gone, just gone. Yeah, some therapy dog somewhere chewing on your stolen <laughs> antlers. <man. laughs> yeah, so, and then, and then uh, yeah, hardcore Jeffy got interviewed for uh, like an APRN story <laughs> that ran locally here on the radio about stolen moose antlers, and that got picked up nationally. And we he was, packed that bull out, and he was yeah, yeah. We helped pack that bull out that got stolen off his garage. And then, uh, yeah, and then he told that story about his buddy who got all the antlers stole out of his backyard, and that was me. So that, that kind of famous. The story made the rounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So watch, watch your moose antlers, man. What do they? So, what do they? Uh, are these people take what? What, what you said? Dog shoes? Are, are they? Are they? Because some of them are pretty popular for carving too, right? I mean, yeah, people. people carve that could be the same market. I don't know. Yeah, I think that the market. Well. Well, and, and, the, and also, the chandelier shit, the shant like antler chandeliers became fashionable enough where they started like casting antlers, oh, fake right. antlers. But 
Antler chandeliers started to establish a market. And then there's the Asian aphrodisiac thing, too. That's, I mean, that's ground up. Felt, but that's like, like a, that's, and they raise, in New Zealand, they raise red deer to harvest velvet. Ant, yeah. Velvet. When I was li- living in Nome every summer, uh, they, they'd come come up there and they'd, uh, Bring bring the rain reindeer herds in and have big old loppers and and take take their antlers off and there'd be uh, uh, a lot of the uh, Asians stand stand around buying them. Yeah, I mean they're, they're standing there buying them. Isn't it, and then the chew toy, they just take they they buy elk antlers and chop them up in like three four inch pieces and they kind of sand the edges off. Yep, dudes walk in and yeah, and, and you up. know it's like each little chunk, each little chunk. Seven, eight, nine dollars. I mean, it probably depends where you are. This friend friend of mine that sells the uh, uh, that makes the knives every uh, every year. Him and his daughter go up there uh, early summer. I think I, I guess it's early summer. Yeah, early summer uh, up off the uh, Hall Road. They go in there and they and they come back with truckload a, a big truck truckload of uh, shed caribou antlers. Okay, you know, and uh, that's what he does. He just he has a bandsaw. He just. And, Boxes and boxes of these little cut up. Things. What do you in the world do you do with these? And and he has these little packages, little dog treats. Wow, that's a hard working dog that can get through a caribou antler. Oh, man. I know it's it. A way different antler. I know it. And and I was like, wow, where'd you come up with that idea? He said it's the going trend. You know, that's what the. And I think too. I think it's like, I don't want to belabor this too much, but I think it's as. Those markets emerged and they became a dollar value. This is my own personal theory. As the markets emerged, the chew toy, the chandelier market, etc., and there started to be a dollar value placed on antlers, I think it also drove interest in recreational antler pickers who just pick them for their own collections. And I brought this up before, the same way like Morels. I think that. With a market for morels, where morels are like worth you know X dollars or twenty five dollars right. a pound, thirty dollars a pound, up yeah, on up, and you know dried mushroom prices, I think people are like, oh wow, I'd like to go find some of those and eat them if they're that valuable. Valuable, exactly. Yeah. And, and so it's like it's just kind of funny the way that the antler, yeah. like antler collecting, in our lifetimes has become yes. just. Be, become this like obsessive thing because it used to just just be a shed, shed antler now now all of a sudden being... there's this attention that, that's drawn to them and they're and they're considered a uh, uh a valuable thing to go after yeah once upon a time animals. people walked past indian arrowheads and didn't stoop over to pick oh, them i up. know yeah yeah you just looked at it like a beer can laying there yeah dan you got any last things you want to ask buck comments questions no, it's been it's been an interesting conversation. I am uh, I am uh, very excited to get out in the Alaska range and poke around your home turf a little bit. Yeah, I call I call flight service. So look, looks like we're going to have a good day for flying tomorrow. So oh. we're actually going to be able to get out. Good to hear. This is not yeah. how I envision spending my day. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, it, it, it's actually a good thing though. I mean, that if it's going to be this way, that you're stuck here and not stuck out there. You know, on on the airstrip, just sitting there waiting for the you know. Oh yeah. To get in. Yeah. yeah. We did a little group my, exercise my today. We had a nice dinner. The yeah. ping pong tournament. Ping pong tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. been fun. Dirt. You got any uh, final thoughts? It might be too long to get into, but I'm curious <laughs> with the rebuild. How uh, has there been some nostalgia with rebuilding your cabin? You know, 
decades after you did the, the initial build? Or, you know, what I mean, just the, the, has there been some positive out of that experience after the fire? Oh, uh, actually, yeah. I mean, I was, um, I was actually, actually able to build something to improve on probably what, you know, some of the drawbacks I saw of what I had before. I was able to put something up and, and, uh, you know, improve on, on what, what, what was there. But, um, I'd still, I'd still much rather have have the old barn there and have have the time that I've had to invest into rebuilding. I was, I was just, I was perfectly satisfied with what, yeah. what was there. But, um, but it, it's a. Uh, uh, at first, it was overwhelming trying to start, you know, do, doing a rebuild. It's like, man, where do I start? And then now that I'm seeing the end of it too, it, it, uh, uh, it's kind of. Um, rewarding and satisfying, knowing it's almost done. It's almost, you know, yeah. it's almost back to the way it was. Yeah. But man, you got you lost all the stuff that it was filled with too. Oh, snow yeah. machines. There were so many, so many people, and they're right, 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 rightly so. You know, after the fire, they said, "Well, at least you didn't lo- lose the lodge." But um, the real value of the place wasn't. The lodge and what's in it, the real value of the place was everything that was in the barn and, and the shed. I mean, as far as, as, if, if you're talking monetary, if the lodge would have gone up, it had just been uh, a bunch of food and a bunch of dead animals on the wall that would have burned up, you know. But uh, um, but the barn and all the snow machines, the four-wheelers, the airplane stuff, um, I mean, just on and on. And I, I remember the after the fire, we're, we're uh, sitting out there on the porch lodge, just exhausted. We've, we've been fighting it all night. And I uh, um, thought, man, we got, I, I needed something, and I needed the, the uh, chainsaw. I remembered, oh, I'm going to go grab the chainsaw, jumping up out of the chair, running back to the barn. And I was oh, wow, there is no barn. There is no chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, and then uh, it, it was funny. I needed uh, uh, I needed a screwdriver, something simple. A screwdriver. Everybody has a screwdriver like laying around. I needed a screwdriver. I didn't have a screwdriver to to just just a simple little thing you know, that I needed right right then. Anyway, you know, just the stuff that you're you're used to having on hand, like yeah. a hammer and all. I had no hammer. I had no nothing. You know, I had a fork that I had to use to try and you know. But anyway, that's all. Uh, you know, thank you know, thank, thank God had uh, you know friends, family, and and um, you know that that helped with with the re- rebuild too. You know, there are a lot of generous people out there that that donated time and and uh, money. You know, family they they got together a benefit to, to help raise money to to rebuild, and uh, I'll I'll never forget that. I mean that uh, that was really something how everybody banded together to help me rebuild. Yeah, Pounder. You're a cool dude, Buck. <laughs> I, I like it. I like your new hat, dude. I like that hat. I wish you'd let me trade you something for it. No, uh, it's a genuine cool hat, hidden man. Alaska outfitters yeah. baseball cap. I, like I just, I, I just want to see if see if there's any any truth to all this resiliency I hear about you. No, it's about all, you. dude. He's yeah. got a tremendous amount of resilience, man. You think we'd call him Ridge Pounder if he didn't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, we'd call him Chris Gill. Yeah, well, there you go. Just <laughs> bring over Chris Gill. Uh, <laughs> Yanni? 
What's the longest you ever stayed out there without without going back to town? It would uh, about six months. It was I remember it was, uh, like I think it was about seventy seventy six or seventy eight, maybe even seventy five. Uh, it's when Saint the the, the volcano uh, Saint Augustine blew. Saint uh, Augustine you know, or Mount Saint Helens. No, no, no. It was Augustine because there was all this ash in the air. That's like, some, is that a well-known volcano? Up here? Inlet, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were. Uh, uh, I was actually scheduled to come out in December after being in there trapping. Then that when the volcano blew, all this ash was in the air. Planes couldn't fly. You know, it, it was pr- pretty thick, and got stuck out there until February. So it would have been September through February, I guess. Yeah. By your lonesome. Like that. Yeah. I would I'm per- perfectly uh happy. I, I mean, I didn't have any I didn't have any uh, you know, uh sweethearts in town that I was missing or anything. I was out there with the dogs and the horses and just happy with uh you know, my everyday uh meat diet. It's just, just <laughs> <No>. fine. <laughs> Man, one of the you know, one of the crazy Craziest things that I'll always remember that that still to this day I just picture it. Um, after that time, after being out there for so long, when you're out in the woods, you see no right angles. You see everything is symmetrical. There's you know curves, you know com- compounds. There, there, there's nothing you ever see that's naturally a complete right angle. You know, and I remember jumping the plane and after living out there, jumping in a plane, all of a sudden. We fly into Anchorage. I'm flying over Anchorage, looking down, and wow, everything's right angles. <laughs> square buildings laid square out on square everything. grids. It yeah. just looks so unnatural. It's really surreal. It, it, it just really felt good weird. Point, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and I'll, I'll never ever forget thinking, wow, this is. It just looked like it looked like a science fiction movie or something. Yeah. And then it just dawned me, you just come from a world where everything's round. Every, you know, there's. Uh, everything has, has a curve that, and I kept trying to think, what, what have I seen out there that is a natural right angle, and I couldn't come up with anything, you know. And in, in, in nature, that's a perfect right angle, like, yeah. like 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 the streets and trails, you know. Yeah, the Mesoamericans they like to, they like some hard edges, you know. But even like most the uh, most of Native American groups, all the structures they lived in. Round yeah, structures, yeah, round, oval yeah. structures, no corners. Yeah, you couldn't lean anything in a corner. But can 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 you think of anything natural that that that's in nature that 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 has a uh, a natural complete right angle? My tooth. Hmm. <laughs> Just that tree branch that Danny was standing on when he shot that. Deer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Danny's tree. No, you're right though. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, funny, just, it's funny that we stumbled that like culturally we hit on this idea that we really like a corner yeah but i imagine it comes from it's not that we really like a corner i You're imagine practical. it just comes from yeah it just comes from a structural right structurally yeah, well, uh, yeah probably i guess i don't know but it, it, it just uh it it, it just hit, hit me just really spooky For sure weird. i, I, I was not saying. expecting to, to see that i'm just hey going to town and, and then i said Wow, this is so weird. Everything it's just a checkerboard. You know? I went to a lecture one time by a. This is my concluding thought. You good on concluders, Yanni? Yeah. Um, I went to a lecture one time by a guy who'd done these uh, 
huge canoe expeditions. You know, like he paddled the whole North Shore of Lake Superior and did all these other crazy canoe trips. And he was saying that he was asking the audience, he's like, you know, when you go out in the woods for a week, how everything kind of slows down, right? And your senses pick up and you feel that your hearing kind of either improves or becomes more in tune and you smell things you didn't smell. And there's sort of the, you keep, you kind of fall into this slower, more contemplative, deliberate rhythm. Yeah over the course of a week. And he was saying, uh, he says, you know, when you're out for six months, it still keeps happening at that same pace. Yeah. Like, he hadn't found the end of it yet. The end of it, right. Which is, uh, you know, something I think most people aren't going to experience. No, probably not. To see it go, to see that quietness go that long. For me, um, it was the terrorist attacks. The 9-11 attacks. 9-11 stuff, yeah. Changed, um, really changed things for me about being gone on longer trips. Because you got this sense. We one time went To where where you didn't. Something was happening. Yeah. And you didn't want to be gone longer on the Just trip? Just that it, it became like, I became more aware of the fact that you might have stepped out, but the but the world moved still. Yeah, we went on a lo- we went on a float trip for deer one time when they were trying to settle the uh, Gore George the Gore the Gore Bush election, and we we they didn't know we actually put off departure waiting to see how the election was going to go. So well, we better go anyway. Um, went on a float trip, got back. They still hadn't figured it out yet. You know, and then you had, and then the terror attacks. Uh, and then it became like being, I just remember like being away was just different. Different because you're worried about that something had happened, that some yeah. horrible thing had happened and, and you weren't in tune to it. And then that kind of segued for me into having kids. And then when you have kids, and you're going on long trips, there's always this this nagging sense that like something would happen. Right. You know, that, like something would go wrong and, and you wouldn't be there or or whatever. That that, that, that like you that became harder to, to divorce yourself from this sort of societal, cultural, global momentum that was going on. And now it is, man. It's it's like it's not difficult to feel at peace. There is a peacefulness still, but it's hard to, for me, it's hard to just get the sense that like everything stopped and I'm just here now. Like I have this like thing in my head that something could be happening. Something horrible could be happening. Happening, right. Yeah. And you have no control over it either. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's just a thing that like, you know, it's part of the falling from grace, right? I think about especially with kids man the like I found that um there's a huge element of uh there's a huge element of guilt that goes into that, that having kids entails like a level of guilt that becomes Why? uncomfortable just self imposed it's just I, I think that I'm just governed by it in a way you know governed by it in a way huh. 
with kids, right? That like, I don't know. It's not nice. But it is because it's like, I guess that's what keeps you on track. That's what keeps me on track. Different people have different things to keep them on track. And it could be, and I've, I've talked about this before, I think it, like it could be that I'm not using the right word. That what that what that I'm like oh it's guilt but maybe it's just um, commitment to your obligations, and I just think and I'm just articulating it wrong. Maybe it's just like a sense of duty, like you could yeah. you could make it sound better than than just like, like this vague sense of guilt. Yeah, sense of duty, sense of obligation. So being gone's different now, right? And I'm not talking six months shit either. I'm talking quickies. <laughs> You know, yeah. You got any last thoughts you'd like to add, Mark? No, I think uh, I think I'm about ready to ready to hit the rack and get up and get to get everybody out into the woods. I think sounds good to me. All right, man. Well, thank you for sitting down with us yeah. for so long. I know that you thanks don't, for having uh, me. Had a I've had a blast with you guys just in the last last two two days. I've, I've hung out with you. Oh, well, thanks, man. Great dinner last night, and then uh, and then this thing tonight. First time. Yeah, you first, had a little captain, uh, little captain's yeah. platter, little Danny Ranella captain's platter last <laughs> night. <laughs> Halibut, salmon, hooligan, yeah. shrimp. It was everything. I, I said uh, no, no hush puppies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That uh, what were the, the those were the hooligan that you had deep fried, right? That yeah, you, yeah. You oh, like man, those? they were oh, they were delicious, especially when they're. Uh, fresh out of there and the tails were crispy you know yeah like. yeah hey the trick the trick is uh baking those for a while after you deep fry them and is, cr- that, is that what you did then or yeah a lot of the grease comes out and they crisp yeah. up real nice like that man but yeah we eat a lot of them like that my kids especially just oh, love man, them i could have sat there boots, all day you ever use that oil for anything <laughs> no, no is no. it pretty rank oil that's probably fine good. yeah yeah. yeah, I think they were the star of the show, really. Yeah, they're, they they're were. a crowd pleaser, man. Yeah. And what what were the fish, you know? what were the longer ones then? Because you had did, didn't you, were those uh, candlefish? Yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah, those were all hooligan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one man. was just smoked and one was fried, right? That's 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 what the difference. Yeah, was, yeah. Right? Some were smoked and some were yeah. fried. Yeah, and the smoked like, ones had their heads on, so mm-hmm, they they were yeah. they were bigger fish that way. Well, the 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 fried ones they they had the heads on them too, didn't they? Uh, no, Giannis, Giannis, he was looking for a chore, and I told him to head and gut the, all the ones we were frying. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, man. man. And, then, and then the uh, the, the king salmon chunks, and then I think you had halibut chunks there, yeah. too, didn't you? Yeah. Like. I mean, it was just a, a real, uh, you know, smorgasbord of bunch of, uh, bunch of ocean fish. fish. Yeah. Caps yeah. yeah. <laughs> platter, man. Yeah. Did, hey, if you want what, to go hooligan dipping next uh, May, get in touch, man. We'll go out. I, I would let, you know, after having that and that last, I'd, I'd, I'd already seen everybody, you know, gathered around the creek down there doing it. I said, you know, what's the, what's up with this? What's what's the big oh, deal with yeah, this? You're and the, only, you're the only white guy down there, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know what he does, too? He, he takes those hooligans down. He takes those hooligans down. Well, we were catching burbot on hooligans through the ice up in the interior. Yeah. And then he takes the hooligans down and catches uh, uh, halibut? halibut. Oh, yeah. Salmon. yeah. Halibut and salmon on hooligans. Yeah. It, so so it, it's, uh, they're, they're as good a bait as herring then? They're real oily like the herring, bird, so they yeah. put out a good scent, you know. But yeah. the, the, the thing herring have up on them, those herring have that real shiny flash to right. them, you know. And the right. hoo- hoo- like a, the, yeah, their shape's just different. It's more like a herring's kind of a more usable shape. Yeah, 
Yeah. For mooching and, and, and whatnot. They're, yeah. And they got that, that real nice sheen, you know, that catches the sun. When you see that herring spinning, like when you're just mooching. Looks it's good just good to eat, man. Yeah. yeah I, I know, man. A lot, a lot of times I'd, I'd be, uh, you know, we'd be hooking up herring on there and I'd be looking around and say, would anybody see if I <laughs> ate one of these? Because, oh, man, man, I'd wanted to eat the bait. Yeah, my, uh, my brother, he, he spends, our other brother spends a lot of time down in the Bahamas fishing. And he heard a story about, he was talking to this guy down there that does a little guiding. And he goes out with some, he's talking about taking some Italians out fishing and pulls out some squid yeah. for bait. And those Italians, like, would not bait a hook with that squid. Why? Because they eat it. Oh. They're like, you're not going to put it, that down there. Just give me a squid. Wasting food, huh? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let's just eat that, that squid and go Let's home. Let's just go home and eat that. <laughs> yeah, no, another one is oc- octopus, too. Octopus ba- ba- makes good bait, but, man, they are sure sure good, you know, cooked oh, up, man, too. Yeah. I really like octopus. You know, I don't know if we've ever, we used to put octopus, chunks of octopus arm on halibut hooks. I can't think yeah. of that. I haven't seen anyone do that in a long time, yeah. yeah. The nice thing about it is that uh, the octopus will stay on oh, the hook pretty easy too yeah you know that's the thing about it yeah we use a lot of salmon fins too man they got some stand you get mm-hmm. that through the skin and through the sort of the fin rays and they got right. some real staying yeah, power it'll stay on you can put a herring on a halibut hook and then tip it with a salmon fin where you run it through that cartilage huh. and it's basically like a retainer holds your yeah holds it on where'd you come up with that idea oh, that sounds pretty cool uh, i can't claim just it's not a it, it's not a Ranella uh, original. Sure, I think it's something that's been thought of thousands Before. of times. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. All right, man. Good night. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds i like pot calls i just like pot calls i enjoy calling with a pot call whatever direction you go including a box call which i don't personally use too much but they're fun and great and i started out with them yanni on the other hand one of my main turkey hunting buddies he loves box calls and what's funny is i'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey so it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.